2SM. Australia's king of talkback radio, John Laws, 9am weekdays. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Hello there, and good morning. Welcome to Friday. Great to have your company, Marcus Paul, in the morning. All the news and your views. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your mind on this Friday. It is February 26, 2021. If you want to send us an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And there's plenty of news around today, and we've got a pretty big program on the way. Of course, being a Friday, happy hour. Now, this morning... We're going to hear from comedian Sammy J after eight. A very funny skit that he's done. Again, uh, bringing up that character of the coach. So that'll be interesting. That's on the way just after eight o'clock this morning. Now, of course, today all eyes will be on, well, the handing down of the Royal Commission into the aged care sector here in our country. The final report of the aged care sector... The Commissioner's report will be given to the Governor-General today. So we're going to try and track down Ian Yates, Council on the Ageing. Of course, we know on the eve of the ABC Four Corners expose of the extremely distressing way older people were being treated in residential aged care, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, announced a Royal Commission into the sector. The announcement surprised many including then-aged care minister Ken Wyatt. He said a few days earlier that it would be a waste of time and money. After two years and maybe $200 million being spent on it, it will come back with a set of recommendations. Well, boy, oh boy, there will be plenty of recommendations. But we do urgently need a new Aged Care Act that focuses on the human rights of older people and not the profits of providers. And unfortunately, it's again like water in this country. Aged people have been treated as simply a commodity, as a number on a spreadsheet, and we need to do much, much, much better. So anyway, we'll talk about that this morning. Uh, The Royal Commission should give the Australian government, hopefully, some guidelines on what we need to do to look after elderly Australians a lot better than we are. The big question is, will the federal government act on it? Uh, Look, also on the program today, I want to talk about vaping. I see that uh, the Nationals and Senator Matt Canavan, Matthew Canavan's been talking about it in the Senate. Uh, I'm going to catch up with Matt this morning just after the 6.30 news. Uh, The issue of vaping. We need to regulate it, I think, in this country. Um, A lot of people I know are basically going online and importing vapors or vapes from overseas Uh, I mean are they safe where's the quality control here Uh, I want to set aside uh, the commentary on this today I mean obviously uh, big tobacco and others and whether or not 
No, it needs to be taxed and all this kind of stuff. That'll all come into it later. But you can't really do any of that until we work out where we're coming with it in relation to vaping. Is it safe? And one of the questions I will ask the senator today, Matt Canavan, is, okay, what is the government going to do about it? Vapors are here, whether we like it or not. So the government does need to look at regulation, and I would suggest set aside some money so that we can do our own research in this country as to the, well, uh, safeness of people using these vapes. So that's on the way just after 6.30. After 7.30 today, Mark Latham on the program, One Nation for New South Wales. Uh, Mark will have plenty to discuss with us, as he always does. Uh, Speaking of New South Wales politicians, uh, our hashtag animal warrior, Emma Hurst, will join us on the program this morning. Emma, of course, from the Animal Justice Party. I see that authorities have busted wide open another puppy farm in New South Wales. And this again explains why Emma needs all the support she can get on getting this new legislation through the New South Wales Parliament to ban puppy farms. Because the vast majority of these animals who've been rescued from a puppy farm in our state or well, most of them required urgent veterinary care. So Emma will have that story for us after 8.30 this morning. So dozens of adorable dogs have been saved from a cruel puppy farm. In fact, all 79 of the pooches required urgent medical attention. Now, as I mentioned uh, today, of course, the Royal Commission into the aged care sector is handed down. So we're, we're going to try and speak to Ian Yates from the Council on the Ageing, a call into Ian this morning. He's normally pretty responsive, so I would imagine we'll get him on the program at some point. But if you would like to have your say, you know what to do. Give us a call, 13 12 69. That's the telephone number. The open line is there for you. If you want to send me an email, MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. And texts, of course, 0458 049209. Uh, just a note that's come through. Police have charged six teenagers over a violent brawl in a shopping centre car park. This happened in Sydney's western suburbs in Mount Druitt. Now officers we're told arrived at the shopping centre at Mount Druitt at 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon where they found a 20 year old man suffering facial injuries and stab wounds. Another man, aged 22, suffered cuts to his neck. Now police have charged four 16 year olds and two 17 year olds over the incident. They've all been refused bail and will front a children's court today. Now, we're also going to try and track down the Western Sydney Business Chamber Executive Director David Borger on the program this morning. There are concerns the federal government isn't pulling its weight in funding measures to shape Western Sydney. Now, the Morrison government is spending around $11 billion across the country which equates to some $434 per New South Wales residence. But are they focusing on the western suburbs of Sydney? Well, the business chamber out there believes not. And that's despite the claims that obviously New South Wales is carrying all of the weights. What do you make of that? Anyway, we'll try and get some more details and, and track down some... 
some discussion on that for you. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. We're also being warned about the so-called Americanization of our health system with major insurers accused of sliding towards a managed care model. Concerns have been raised about profit-based insurers buying up GP clinics and partnering with overseas companies to provide healthcare data and other services. Matthew Koch from the Members Health Fund Alliance says that should ring alarm bells for governments, healthcare providers and especially for patients. Yeah, I think the last thing we need, I mean, look, to be honest, the aged care sector's already been Americanized. I mean, this managed care model, we can't let it filter into our healthcare system any further. And we should be alarmed by it. But if you want to talk about that, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Well, Facebook. Facebook have ended their Australian news ban. We can once again see and share news on Facebook with the tech giant lifting its ban, restoring hundreds of pages across the world's largest social network. Uh, So let's have a look here. The site's unlocked for 17 million Australian Facebook users at 1am this morning. Not only do they include local news pages, such as uh, the Daily Telegraph, the ABC, The Guardian, but international publications as well, including the Wall Street Journal and CNN. Well, there we go. So media outlets, blogs, magazine and small businesses, all swept up in the Facebook drama, uh, will be back online or are back online. Facebook's unprecedented ban on news, which lasted for eight days and captured worldwide attention, was lifted one day after the Australian government passed its news media bargaining code with amendments discussed in talks, as we know, between Treasurer Josh Frydenberg and the tech giant's chief executive, Mark Zuckerberg. All right, if you want to have your say on it, the call's coming through now, 13 12 69. 13 12 69, if you'd like to have your say. Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Okay, 22 minutes after five. Let's go to the open line now. 13, 12, 69. Brian, are you there, mate? Yes, I am, Marcus. Thanks for holding on, Brian. What do you want to say, mate? Mate, I've been on uh, a vape for four and a half years. Yeah. I've been a heavy smoker. Um, and I, my health has never been better. Well, that's good. Uh, but, but Wait, if you don't... Was that I'm if... not sure... Any on All right, that phone's getting a little dodgy. If you can still hear oh, me... Brian, yeah, Brian, if you can still hear me, uh, you're dropping out there. But if you don't mind my asking, do you import them? Do you uh, get them from overseas or...? No, I buy my the juice itself yeah. from, from a vape shop. Yep. But I do have to import my own nicotine. Right, OK. Because 
the when like for the verse the, the vapes first started, mm. the vape shops could put your nicotine like the level of nicotine in your juice for you. Yeah. And, and you bought it from them like that. Mm. But the government stopped them allowing them to do that, so we had to import our own nicotine. Right. You take it to the the vape shop, or you can put it in yourself. You buy the juice. Yep. And they will put it in for you, or you can put it in yourself. Do we need to regulate vaping here in Australia? I'm going to talk to Senator Matt Catavan about it this morning. What do you think? Mate, I, I honestly think we probably do. Um, you know I, what? I, I, don't, I don't know any health issues that, or if it's good or bad for you, mate. To be honest with you, I... I have no idea. Yeah. The only thing, though, of course, with regulation will come taxes, and that means that, you know, vaping, which is obviously now a much cheaper alternative, and probably, uh, I mean, the, the science in some countries has been well and truly established that vaping is at least in some form better for you than smoking. But, uh, you know, once it's regulated, it'll cost a hell of a lot more because governments will want their fair share and they will tax it. You can guarantee they will tax it. Peter, are you there? I'm here, MP. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Pete. How are you? Hey, I just, just, yeah, good. Bit, bit annoyed. I just heard you talking about this um, health care and all that. Then my missus tells me the other night that they're going to raise premiums again on private health insurance. Yeah, of course. You know. <laughs> why, why, why doesn't the government raise our Medicare to about 2%, 2.5%. That way we'd all be covered and we wouldn't have to keep paying these criminals. Well, I mean, you don't have to, so that's the thing. It's voluntary, but I understand your point. Um, yeah. I yeah, know a lot just... of people that just rely on uh, Medicare, but it depends, I guess, on you know how prone you are to illness. Uh, it's well, a big risk. You know, it's a big risk, yeah. I guess. If you you know, if you want to just rely on the Medicare system, we're very lucky. The Medicare system in this country is very good. But uh, I mean, obviously, yeah, getting private. No one can keep. No one can keep putting their hand in their pocket. It's not putting your pocket hand in your pocket for petrol. You'd be doing that every week, wouldn't you? <laughs> what's the, what's roughly what you're paying for your premium now? Well, we're up to the wife and I, one hundred and thirty-six a fortnight. Ooh, it's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, especially after we've just been told uh, it raised, they took the stop off it in October last year. Yeah, yeah. And you know, this is getting to be a joke, this country. Yeah, it's we very are expensive. Turning American. Well, that's what the concern is. The concern is that uh, you know health in this country is being Americanized, and that's yeah, the last only thing. For the, only for the rich soon, and we will have a system like a America where you won't be able to afford to do anything. Yep. Well, we're being warned about the Americanization of our health system with major insurers accused of sliding towards a managed care model. Thank you, Pete. There are concerns about profit-based insurers buying up GP clinics and partnering with overseas companies to provide healthcare data and other services. The Members Health Fund Alliance, they say that should ring alarm bells for government's healthcare providers and especially for patients around Australia. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's a Friday. It's February 26. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. We're going to talk to Senator Matthew Canavan on the program in around an hour's time on vaping. But on 13 12 69, Shane wants to have his say. G'day, Shane. Morning, Marcus. How are you? All right. Thank you, mate. 
Um, yeah, mate, I just got in the car, heard you talking a bit about the vaping, so I don't know if something like this has been said already. Um, my concern is I've got a young girl just started high school. Um, they're vaping at school. We've got friends in Newcastle with kids at school. They're vaping at school there. I talked to a gentleman at a pub last night who imports these vaping sticks for $2 each from yeah. China, mm. sells them for $10 each to his mate, who then lurks around the pubs and sells them for $20 a stick, yeah. and they're equal to about 60 cigarettes. They're throwaway. Don't use them again. Yeah, that's Once right. You... I've seen them. Yep. It's just really concerning. Coming out of China, what's in them? They're in the schools. The schools don't know how to deal with it. They can't search everybody. They're just so... Uh, it's just it's, it's very worrying. Yeah, look, I understand, and unfortunately this was always going to be the case, and I'll tell you why. Cigarettes are so damn expensive. Yep. That's the biggest problem. Uh, look, if you've got a cheaper alternative out there, which there is, uh, and we don't want kids uh, taking up vaping anyway. We, no. Obviously, we don't want them taking up cigarette smoking, but you're right, that is a concern. Vaping is becoming a big trend amongst younger people. Now, that's why I think we need it regulated in this country, and that's why the government, if we, I mean, you can't stop it now, it's here. Uh, yep. And I think what we do need to do, perhaps, Shane, is invest some money into uh, some research here in Australia, regulate it. Uh, that will push the price up, unfortunately. Um, but still, it's better that we have a look at it ourselves and ensure that whatever it is that our kids are inhaling isn't going to be harmful for them. And a bit of education through the schools may be needed just to give some kids some insight because they think it's fun. Mm. They think it's tasty. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, anyway, mate, thanks very much for taking the call. Keep up the good work. My pleasure, Shane. You have a wonderful Friday, mate. Thank you very much. And that is the problem. That's why it's important that I have the discussion, I think, with the Senator this morning. Vaping. Uh, if you want to have your say on it, 13, 12, 69, it's pretty obvious that, of course, younger people in schools are going to take it up um, because cigarettes are exorbitantly expensive. And, as Shane said, you can import these vapes for next to nothing or you can buy them down to the pub, uh, which basically will save you money. Now, there's little doubt that, you know, there are some areas uh, around the world you know, some countries that have done research on it saying that, uh, and the research has suggested that vaping is better for you than, you know, toxics, uh, toxic cigarettes. But I think we need to, if we're going to allow uh, people to vape in our country, what we're going to need to do is regulate it in some way, shape or form and have our own scientists look into it. I think that's the safest way to go, uh, only because... We can't stop it now, as I said to Shane. And he's concerned for his children. Um, they're already starting to do it in schools, and it's become a bit of a trend. And I guess, in a way, it's like the the lolly water or the, the cheap drinks that are available in pubs. You know, once there's a cheaper alternative, whether it's cheaper alcohol or cheaper ways of uh, getting a nicotine fix, well, then the kids will get onto it. 13, 12, 69. We need to make sure they're safe. All right, 
emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Hello, Sue. Happy Friday to you as well. G'day, Marcus. What happened to your opening jingle? I reckon it was great to wake up to. Cheers and have a great weekend. Well, Sue, I'm just resting it for a while, okay? It'll come back. Bomb Bomb will return, I promise you. Um, we're just giving it a little rest, okay? We had a whole new heap of bits and pieces for the show come through uh, in the last couple of weeks, so we're giving Bomb Bomb a bit of a rest. <laughs> some would say, some might say, oh, mate, can you rest it permanently? Police are investigating the sudden death of a woman at Varsity Lakes in Queensland. Look, that's a really nice way of putting it. Police are, in fact, investigating the axe murder of a woman at Varsity Lakes. At 1.30 yesterday, emergency services were called to an address on Garona Circuit where they located an 82-year-old woman dead inside the home. And an 82-year-old man was taken to the Gold Coast University Hospital where he remains under police guard. Now, a crime scene was set up as officers try to piece together the details leading up to the woman's death, which quite obviously is being treated as suspicious. Anyone with any information is um, urged to get in contact with police immediately, but, I mean, there's suggestions from other stories that I've read that perhaps there were drugs involved, but for goodness sake, 82-year-old man and an 82-year-old woman involved in this horrific incident where allegedly an axe was involved and an 82-year-old woman was found dead inside a home. And while we're on the, uh, the awful stories, and I'm sorry to bring them to you so early, but what about this scumbag? Sometimes... And I get a lot of calls on it, but you do wish the death penalty was available for low lives. The owner of a childcare centre is accused of drugging children and then sexually assaulting them. The 54-year-old man has been charged over the alleged attack of a four-year-old girl on the New South Wales south coast. He's charged with detaining a person with intent, sexually touching a child under the age of 10, and aggravated sexually touching another person. But what I can't understand, and we might get some more detail on this, Justin, this last sentence here, his bail has been continued. Is that continued or should it be discontinued? I mean, how, how on earth can bail be given to a bloke, the owner of a childcare centre, accused of drugging children and then sexually assaulting them? What the hell's going on here? Where's the protection for other children? in the community down there on the south coast. The 54-year-old man's been charged over the alleged attack of a four-year-old girl. Apparently, the allegation is that he drugged this child and possibly others before sexually assaulting them. And I'm hearing here that this bloke's on bail. The hell? 13, 12, 69 to have you say. Graham, good morning. How are you? G'day, mate. How are you? All right, thanks, Graham. What's on your mind, boss? Well, just uh, that vaporing, you know, like that. That's uh, that's outrageous how it's allowed to come into this country. The governments, you know, the government of this country, what I can see, have got no teeth anymore, mate. And you know, they used to be leaders. I think they're rubbing shoulders with too many business people now, and it's all about business. And 
where they can, you know, uh, get a pat on the back because they're letting people make money. When this is, you know, there's kids, thousands of them, every school in Australia, uh, are vaporing and smoking and this, you know, they can't. All right, I don't know what happened to you there, mate. You've dropped out, but that's okay. Uh, look, I think, um, <clears throat> with respect, I think you're wrong. I don't think the government's. Uh, they haven't let it happen. It was always going to happen. That's why we need to regulate it. Uh, that's why we definitely need to regulate it. Um, you know, the government hasn't really... You know, there's probably, unfortunately, going to be some money in this for the government. So that's why, uh, you know, they'll eventually tax it upon regulation because you'll need to pay for the regulation and to make sure that we look after people who decide perhaps to take up this habit. It's here. There's not much we can do about it now. The best we can do, hopefully, is to ensure that we have some regulation in place, some Australian-based research into vaping as to whether or not the claims from some countries overseas that it's better for you than smoking traditional cigarettes. Podcast Marcus Paul in the morning at any time. Go to 2sm.com.au and click the show page. 2SM Sydney Traffic. Late finishing roadworks have wrapped up over the M5 east at westbound direction with a good clear run Preston's M5 M7. Busy traffic, Centenary Drive approaching Arthur Street. All clear inside the Pacific Highway exit Warunga through Taramara Pacific Highway approaching Kissing Point Road. Good clear run citybound. Think the bin's too far away. Did you know that only one in a thousand sea turtles reach adulthood due to threats such as litter? Don't be a tosser. If it's not in the bin, it's on you. That's the latest traffic with Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM 1269. If you have mild joint aches and pains, you may want to try Arbor Vitae Joint Health. Arbor Vitae is a naturally derived anti-inflammatory and antioxidant health supplement that provides relief from the symptoms of mild osteoarthritis, inflammation and joint pain. Now stocked in over 700 chemists and health food stores Australia-wide. This medicine may not be right for you. Read the label before purchase. Follow the directions for use. If symptoms persist, talk to your healthcare professional. For stockists, go to arborvitae.com.au. New lounge custom made to suit your needs and reflect your lifestyle. That's exactly what you'll get from Chili Pip Lounge Designs, Sydney's favourite lounge manufacturer. At Chili Pip Lounge Designs, you can choose from a wide selection of styles available in fabric or leather. And anything, yes, anything is possible. Your Chili Pip Lounge is made for you the way you want it. Brand new. Go to Chili Pip, that's C H I L I P I P dot com dot AU or telephone 1300 My family's been farming this land for generations and hopefully will for many more to come. Things aren't as easy to do on the farm as they once were, and we hear of too many injuries, especially to older farmers. If you've been in the game as long as me, there are things you can do to make work easier and safer. The Great Idea Bank is a guide produced by older farmers for older farmers with practical tips that can help, whether you think you're old or not. For copies, visit farmsafe.org.au. G'day, Doug the Tradie here. The right insurance is the safety gear you need on every job site. With IMAR, you'll get the cover you need, like public liability, tools and personal accident and illness, quickly. 
And for a limited time, save up to 120 bucks when you buy all three online. Save some quick bucks in a few simple steps. Head to imar.com.au and get a quote, get covered, get working. The trade is mate. That's Imar. The way Australian businesses access business NBN fibre has changed for good. With our fastest ever wholesale symmetrical speeds and a wide choice of providers, we're making business fibre more accessible in more locations than ever to improve high-speed connectivity right across Australia. To find out more, search Business NBN Fibre today. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Plenty of calls early this morning, which is great for a Friday. Hello, Chris. Oh, good morning. Morning, mate. Um, just want to have a little say on the vaping thing. I, I don't yeah. vape. I am I am an ex-smoker, though, but I do find um, highly, highly amusing how many people get outraged about anything, uh, especially the kids in schools. The kids in schools, I started smoking when I was in school. I knew so many people, and it's not. Yeah. There's nothing new with what kids do in school, and they shouldn't drinking before discos, all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, they do. This rational thing. This is what kids do. Um, yeah, I but think it doesn't it, mean we should accept it, and we shouldn't try and stop it, though. No, not at all. But I'll go on the other side. of Plenty of smokers now who have actually either given up smoking yeah. due to starting to vape, or mm. on the other one, their health's actually gotten better because they've started vaping instead of smoking. Well, that's um, right. An earlier caller, mate, you might have heard him. He rang and said he's never felt better, and he's vaped for the last couple of years after giving up the cancer sticks. And that's why, look, that's why I just think it's important that we invest some money here in Australia into doing our own research. Ah, uh, you've dropped out, mate. Yeah. Alison, hello, are you there? Yes, I am. Morning, Alison. Good morning, Marcus. I love your program. Thank you, very kind. Uh, that that childcare, uh, I am absolutely shocked. What in the hell were the other teachers doing? Surely they would have known that that, that he was doing something like that. Mm. I tell you what, I'd string him up by his thumbs. Oh, I, I, I'm absolutely shocked. I was a I was a, a childcare worker, so I and I love my job. But uh, I am absolutely gobsmacked when you said that. You said that. Yeah, well, oh. I'm just trying to chase down some more detail on it. Oh, yes, please. But, I mean, I can't believe that the last line of the notes that I've received this morning says that this bloke is, is still on bail. I mean, the owner of a childcare centre is accused of, accused of drugging children and then sexually assaulting them. The 54-year-old man has been charged over the alleged attack on a four-year-old girl on the New South Wales South Coast. He's charged with detaining a person with intent, sexually touching a child under the age of 10, and aggravated sexually touching another person. Now, oh, this bloke God. does not belong on our streets. No. No, he, 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 he should be in jail. They should not have given bail to a person like that. Yeah, well, I'm going to try and find out some more detail on it. All right, so we'll see exactly what's going on here, but yeah, you're oh. right. All right, then, Doc. Thanks, Matt, Marcus. Thank That's you. all right. You take care. Yeah, look, I'm sorry to bring these kinds of stories to you, and they're shocking, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but we do have 
scumbags. It's probably the best way of putting it like this in our community. And well done to police and everybody involved in catching this bloke. What we need to ensure is that he faces court. And if the evidence is there, that he's locked away for a long, long time so that hopefully he will never be able to touch inappropriately children again. I mean, certainly he should never be able to operate a childcare centre or be anywhere near somewhere where children are supposed to be looked after and kept safe, for goodness sake. Eight minutes away from six. Like I say, we'll get some more detail on this story for you in just a couple of moments. Marcus Paul in the morning, 131269. I've got no idea what that's going. Uh, we're just uh, having a little discussion here, Justin and I. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, because we've got conflicting reports. The Illawarra Mercury are reporting that this childcare operator down on the south coast... Uh, was refused bail, and and yet the story in the Daily Telegraph says he's out on bail. So we're getting in touch with New South Wales Police, police media, uh, to try and find out. The owner of a childcare centre is being investigated for allegedly drugging children, taking them to another property during the day and then sexually assaulting them. The investigation began after a four-year-old boy told his mum he did not feel safe going to the centre anymore. The 54-year-old owner has been charged in relation to one four-year-old girl, but specialist detectives within the state's Crime Command's Child Abuse and Sex Crime Squad have also been interviewing other children. Now, the centre on the state's south coast, which the man ran with his wife, has been closed down. Well, that's good. There's no suggestion the wife was involved. Now, the childcare centre is a converted house on a suburban street, Children have allegedly told their parents they were given something to drink before they were taken from the childcare centre to another house where they were abused. Jesus. Police allege the house was owned by the same man who cannot be named because it would identify the kids. Well, we understand that. He owns a number of properties in the area. Look, he's been charged with taking and detaining a person with intent to obtain advantage... Uh, intensely sexually touching a child under 10 years of age, aggravated sexually touching another person. And then the story goes on to say that his bail was continued at Nowra Court. The conditions of his bail include reporting daily to police, not to go near departure points and not to be alone in the immediate presence of any child aged under 16. This bloke should be in jail. In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program. Hello if you're just joining us for the first time on this Friday, February 26, 2021. On the way, Senator Mac Canavan. Uh, I want to talk about vaping with the Senator. We've already taken a, a swag of calls on the issue in the first hour of the program. Uh, a lot of people, parents in particular, are very concerned that kids are taking this vaping uh, up at school and I guess we need to get it regulated or certainly the government needs to look in, uh, into providing some funding into our scientists and our researchers having a look into whether or not this stuff is safe. 
Anyway, Matt Canavan on the program in just over half an hour. Uh, now, Mark Latham will join us a little later, just after 7.30. Emma Hurst as well from the Animal Justice Party. Dozens of dogs have been saved from a cruel puppy farm with all 79 dogs needing urgent medical attention. So we'll talk about that. Of course, you know, Emma is fighting very hard to have puppy farming banned in the state of New South Wales. It's effectively banned everywhere else around the country. So what's happening is some rogue operators are setting up shop here in New South Wales. I mean, I think it's a no-brainer. I don't understand why Emma's having so much trouble getting this legislation through. We'll talk to her about it this morning. Now, of course, today we know that the governments will receive the final report from the Royal Commission into the aged care sector in our country. Uh, Now, on a day that that's happening, um, we're learning that, unfortunately, uh, the people who uh, probably are the most susceptible and vulnerable to COVID-19 are being, well, plagued by delays on getting the vaccine. Australia's COVID vaccine rollout in aged care is already plagued by delays, with only 70 of a planned 240 facilities receiving the first doses so far this week. Well, why? Only 70 aged care facilities have received the jab since Monday out of a planned 240. A senior source has told media they were concerned DHL supply chain did not have enough capacity to deliver the Pfizer jabs from hubs into aged care. There have been deliveries of vaccine dropped at the door of a facility with no one there to sign them over to. What? We've had months... Months to get this stuff right. Months to get this stuff right. There have been deliveries of vaccine dropped at the door of a facility with no one to sign them over to. Well, that's outrageous. In two locations in Victoria, incorrect doses were delivered to the aged care homes and there was a scramble to minimise wastage. And we know what happened in Queensland the other day. We had an overdose. The source said they were concerned about delays in delivery and believed GPS tracking on boxes of vials was not always activated. Well, we need to sort out the supply chain issue ASAP. Healthcare Australia are the mob contracted to look after this. And there's already been a number of stuff-ups in the first week. It's understood the government yesterday sought clarification from DHL and was advised that in 100% of the cases, the tracking showed the deliveries arrived. Well, look, Healthcare Australia, which administers the jabs in New South Wales and Queensland aged care facilities, have apparently slowed down their rollout after an untrained doctor bungled doses for two early patients, rather, in breach of the company's contract. Health Minister Greg Hunt said his department had thrown the book at Healthcare Australia. They say they will be bringing on an an additional provider. Mr Hunt conceded the aged care rollout goal was now up to 72 hours behind schedule, but vowed that that it would be fully on track by the second week next week. All right, well, we'll see what happens there. Leading Aged Care Services Australia Chief Executive Sean Rooney has told media he had written to the government yesterday to outline sporadic logistics issues with the vaccine rollout into aged care. Uh, maybe these are just teething problems, given it's the first week. But, I mean, you can't get this stuff wrong. 
And as I say, the government has had plenty of time to organise the rollout of these vaccines. We're one of the last in the world to get them. No wonder Labor was putting the government under pressure to roll this thing out and said they were dragging the chain on it. And now we learn that the COVID vaccine rollout in aged care is already plagued by delays with only 70 of a planned 240 facilities receiving the first doses so far this week. And they're some 72 hours behind what they were supposed to be. Anyway, 13, 12, 16, they've got to get it right. Just have to get it right. It's only one crack at this, 13, 12, 69. A story that I mentioned just prior to our six o'clock news, and I just want to go back through it because I'm flabbergasted. I really am. The owner of a childcare centre is being investigated for allegedly drugging children, taking them to another property during the day and then sexually assaulting them. And yet this bloke, this 54-year-old, is out on conditional bail. The investigation began after a four-year-old boy told his mum he didn't feel safe going to the centre anymore. The 54-year-old owner has been charged in relation to one four-year-old girl, but detectives, who no doubt do a wonderful job, that's detectives within the State Crime Command's Child Abuse and Sex Crime Squad, they've also been interviewing other children. Look, I understand they need to get as much evidence together as they can. I get that. The centre is on the state south coast, which this 54-year-old bloke ran with his wife. Now, it's been closed down, thank God. There is no suggestion that the wife was involved, but it's a nightmare. I mean, it's every parent's nightmare. The childcare centre is a converted house in a suburban street. Now, children have allegedly told their parents they were given something to drink before they were taken from the childcare centre to another house where they were allegedly abused. Police allege the house was owned by the same man. Of course, he can't be named because that would identify the children. But this bloke also owns a number of properties in the area. Now, he's charged with a a range of offences, including taking and detaining a person with intent to obtain advantage, intentionally sexually touching a child under 10 years of age, and aggravated sexually touching another person. But his bail was continued at Nowra Court. The conditions of his bail include reporting daily to police, not to go near departure points, and not to be alone in the immediate presence of any child aged under 16. Well, I'm sorry. Surely somebody with these kinds of charges on the rap sheet should be cooling their heels in a cell while they await... I don't know, a further chance to exonerate themselves before a court. What about the the safety of the South Coast community where this bloke lives? The charges follow what police said was an extensive investigation and a crime scene warrant was issued to search the house when the man allegedly took the children. Police will allege in court the man took the girl to a vacant property while she was in his care at a South Coast childcare centre before sexually touching her on two occasions between February and December last year. I mean, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 
Investigations continue and this man is due to face a committal hearing at Nowra Local Court on Monday, March 15. But as far as I'm concerned, he shouldn't be out on bail. And 17 minutes after 6, 13, 12, 69, Ian Yates from the Council on the Ageing. We're tracking him down this morning. Hopefully we'll get him on the, uh, the program. The Royal Commission is handed down today and it will give the Australian governments an idea of where to go to next. The only question is, I guess, will they act on it? We know um, a while ago... The Prime Minister announced a Royal Commission in Wage Care and that announcement even caught at the time the Aged Care Minister Ken Wyatt by surprise. I mean, he'd said a couple of days earlier that any such Royal Commission would be a waste of time and money. (laughs) Well, that bloke's useless. And the one after him, Richard Colbeck, has been as equally as useless. Like many aged care advocates, Wyatt argued we didn't need an expensive Royal Commission to tell the government the aged care sector was, well, in a heap of trouble. Over the past 20 years, numerous inquiries, reviews, consultations, think tanks and task forces have produced enough evidence to show that there was inadequate personal care, negligence, neglect, abuse and assaults in aged care homes. Research has also shown the terrible state of home care. In addition to the long queue for home care packages... There is the commodification or the rotting of the system, inconsistent quality of care and support workers with minimal or no training being sent to homes of aged care facilities. Yet why is it that governments have continued to ignore most of the recommendations of these inquiries and reviews? All we can hope is that the findings of the Royal Commission, which will be awful reading when it's handed down, we can only hope that there's no more ignoring by the government, by anybody, on what the recommendations will be. I mean, after two years, two years of... We know what the interim report said. Brace yourselves. Brace yourselves to be shocked. Anthony Albanese has been going on about it on this program for the last year. We need to brace ourselves to be shocked because the aged care sector in this country is probably one of the worst anywhere. Why? Well, again, because we've allowed the commodification of elderly Australians. They're just a number on a spreadsheet for an operator whose main motive is business and profit, not the care of the residents. Yes, I know there are some very good places out there. Of course there are. But if the model's stuffed, if the model that's allowed, been allowed to fester, that quite simply puts profit above the care of patients, well, obviously, there's going to be some issues. And boy, oh boy, are there issues. After two years of heartbreaking evidence, including evidence from older people and families, today, the Royal Commissioner's final report will hit the Governor-General's desk and then be spread out through the government to the community. If nothing else, this Royal Commission will show that we need to listen, really, really listen, to older people and their families. And those within the aged care sector hold the key to fixing the damn problems. And fix they must be.
For too long, the government's ignored the views of older people. For example, back in 2017, when Mr Wyatt involved, invited people to a consumers in aged care, sitting at the table were 17 chief executives, including CEOs of the government-funded consumer organisations, national seniors and others. But not one person receiving aged care services was at the table. It's no good having all of these think tanks if you're not involving people who are there at the coalface. Historically, and this is the ridiculous part, historically, older Australians, older Australians who use aged care services have never had a seat at any of these tables. Well, that's ridiculous. How can you try and talk about an aged care system when you don't have anybody at these so-called think tanks and tables where, you know, inquiries are being held and all the rest of it. Anyway, it's a system that needs fixing, and it needs fixing yesterday. We can only hope that the government will act on the Royal Commission's findings and suggestions or recommendations which will be handed down today. Hello, Marie. How are you? Good morning. Not too bad. Thank you, Marcus. And to Justin and all your listeners out there, it's time we stop talking about it and wondering what's going to be done, Marcus. On a perpetual basis, we're hearing about these things, but now it's coming to the kindergartens, and there's something's happening. We can't keep talking about it. We expect something to be done years ago, a long time ago, Marcus. It's now 50 sexual assaults, not a year, a week for our aged people in nursing homes. Who's running these places? And if that was the kindergarten where that man took your child or mine away, there's a lot of people I know, they wouldn't be waiting for someone to act. They'd have taken the law into their own hands. These are our precious children, and thank you for talking about it, but it's time we stop talking and something was done. And when is that going to happen, Marcus? Yeah, good point. All right, Marie, thank you very much. Maybe when we have governments uh, that are concerned about, well, more social issues rather than looking after big business, perhaps that's when things will happen. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Three minutes after six, I see the Prime Minister has stepped around a question about whether he agrees with Peter Dutton's characterisation of Brittany Higgins' rape allegations as, can you believe this rubbish, she said, he said. This bloke is our Home Affairs Minister. I mean, I think I'd find a heart in a tin man before I found a heart in Peter Dutton. This is the problem. This is the pro- The bloke gives me a migraine just thinking about his face. Peter Dutton. What a disgrace of a man he is. He said, she said. That's what he's produced. These very serious allegations of sexual assault, not by one person, but I think by nearly five now, that's occurring underneath uh, Parliament, you know, the building of which he is a very senior minister. Dutton's office earlier this week declined to answer questions from The Guardian, Australia and other media outlets about his contact with police. But the Home Affairs Minister finally confirmed, I think on Wednesday, the AFP told him about the allegations of sexual assault on the 11th of February. Dutton said yesterday his Chief of Staff subsequently told Morrison's Chief of Staff about the heads up from the Australian Federal Police on February 12. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister continues to insist that he wasn't told until Monday, Feb 15. 
Mr Dutton told reporters yesterday that, quote-unquote, some detail had been provided to Morrison's Chief of Staff when there were media inquiries on Feb 12, quote-unquote, as a courtesy. The minister added he wasn't provided with the she-said-he-said details of the allegation. This bloke has kids. And by the way, he also has some $300 million in the bank. Where the hell did that come from? Marcus Paul in the morning. 13, 12, 69, if you'd like to have your say. I'll have a little bit more on that later. Uh, right now, Sonny's there. Hello, Sonny. Are you there? Yeah. Hi. Marcus. Hi, Sonny. Good, thanks. What's on your mind? Um, this is about the, the allegation. Uh, supposedly. Yeah. This is the fourth person this week that's come forward. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, got to be a little careful. It's now before the courts, but, uh, well, certainly the initial allegation from Brittany Higgins, so I don't want to really go too far into yeah. that, but what was your point? I know everyone's talking about it, and I don't want to name any names, but they're not naming any names. Is That is the big problem. They just keep saying, oh, this man, 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 oh, this man. Well, man, man, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, if you look hard enough, if you look hard enough on the internet, you'll find out exactly who this uh, bloke is. I, again, uh, I've got to be very careful. And the reason I haven't named him, and I don't think we, he should be named, is because justice needs to play its part here now. And I'm sure that the Australian Federal Police, after they spoke to Miss Higgins on Wednesday, would very much like to be speaking to this bloke. That's if he hasn't nicked off overseas already, which is what I've heard. Let's hope he hasn't. There's other things that I've heard that I wish I could broadcast as well, but I can't. News next, 6.30. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, 25 minutes away from 7. Great to have your company this morning. Uh, very soon, Daniel Mookie uh, from the State Opposition in New South Wales joining us on the program. Uh, why was one of the state's top bureaucrats let go uh, at the cost of some 800-odd-thousand to taxpayers? Well, maybe Andrew Constance let something slip yesterday. Uh, Daniel Mookie will explain to us something about land clearing that he refused to do this top bureaucrat at the behest of the minister. Anyway, some details on that with Daniel. Also, Mark Latham, not too far away, and from the Animal Justice Party, Emma Hurst. Again, there's been another breakthrough, I think, in the abolition of puppy farms in New South Wales. Nearly 80 dogs needed urgent medical attention when they were saved from a cruel puppy farm. We'll give you all the details on that. And also on the way, Ian Yates from the Council on the Ageing. Of course, the Royal Commission into the Aged Care Sector is handed down today. Look, vaping has helped thousands of Australians quit smoking. But still, we seem to be ignoring the evidence from around the world. Senator Matthew Canavan has been talking about it in the Senate. I'm happy to say he joins us on the program before he hops on a flight this morning. Matthew, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? Very well, and I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You know, when I opened up the uh, the phone lines on this issue around an hour and a half ago, Matthew, we've been inundated with calls. It's an issue that I think needs greater discussion in our community. Well, uh, you have the same experience as me. Uh, I'm not a vapor. Uh, uh, I didn't know too much about it until around 
six months ago, uh, the Minister for Health, Greg Hunt, uh, announced that he would ban the importation of liquid nicotine, which is what you need to use to vape, yeah. um, with about a week's notice. And, and I had people contact me and say, this is terrible. I'm going to be kicked back to smoking. Don't know what I'm going to do. And so I started a petition, and, and we had 80,000 signatures in a matter of days, which well, is just remarkable. Mm. And so since then, I've been taking up that cause because it's just everyday people who have found a way to kick a terrible habit. Uh, no one wants to see people addicted to smokes for life. Obviously, it can have terrible effects with lung cancer and what have you, and, but also impacts, impacts their livelihood, their, their budget. You know, they're, they're oh, so absolutely. Now smoking and vaping. Vaping is much, much safer, and I wouldn't encourage anyone to take it up. Of it's a quit aid, uh, but it's much safer than, than smoking and, and a lot cheaper to boot. And I agree. Look, um, I wouldn't encourage anyone to take up vaping either, but, I mean, research overseas has shown that it is significantly safer than smoking, and we should perhaps be doing everything we can to ensure that people have all the options open to them to help them quit uh, traditional cigarettes. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to play you a, uh, a bit of a call. It only goes for about 40 seconds, but this gentleman who rang this morning makes a very good point, and that's why I think the discussion you're having in the Senate is very important. Matt, so you'll be able to hear this man. My concern is I've got a young girl just started high school. Um, they're vaping at school. We've got friends in Newcastle with kids at school. They're vaping at school there. I talked to a gentleman at a pub last night who imports these vaping sticks for $2 each from yeah. China, mm. sells them for $10 each to his mate, who then lurks around the pubs and sells them for $20 a stick, yeah. and they're equal to about 60 cigarettes. They're throwaway. Don't use them again. Yeah, that's Once right. You... I've seen them. Yep. It's just really concerning. Coming out of China, what's in them? They're in the schools. The schools don't know how to deal with it. They can't search everybody. They're just so... Uh, it's just it's, it's very worrying. So that was a caller not long ago, uh, Matt. Now, he uh, makes some very good points, I think. He's concerned about his, his kids at school, as we all are. Uh, is that why... Uh, that's why I think it's important that you've started this conversation, but surely we need some regulation and maybe Australian scientists, maybe some funding for our own research into vaping here in Australia. Well, I think that's a very good point. Uh, uh, no one wants to see underage children with access to these products, but as your caller outlines there, that's happening now. Uh, yeah. Vaping is illegal in Australia now. Um, if people do it, it's not really enforced, but uh, the, the actual act of vaping is illegal, and the only... Um, the only reason we, we aren't being able to cramp down this is because we don't have proper regulations. We should yeah. have a proper regulatory structure here that mm. can make sure that we try and keep this away from young people as possible. And may I say, too, I'd be more than happy to have e-cigarettes, a legal e-cigarette market with a, with a tax. I don't want to see it as expensive as smokes, but a tax revenue stream that could fund some of those programs for government. Well, that's right. Uh, and the thing is, unless we do something about it, there'll be this continuation of a black market in vapes uh, that are being imported. And I know regardless, I know Ms., uh, that the health minister's out, outlawed the importation of this nicotine, but it's still finding its way here, obviously. And unless we regulate it, this black market will continue. And it's just a matter of time, I think. And that's the real concern, Matt, is... There might be a dud batch 
of these products that, as my caller mentioned, that maybe come from China or elsewhere that causes some serious illness within our community. And that's why we need urgent action, I think, from governments just to have a really close look at this. Because while cigarettes remain at the exorbitant cost they are, people will be turning to vaping, and they are. Yeah, that's right. And there are risks. Um, The US has a much more liberal, free-for-all sort of market, and no one wants that here. And there have been, and often the the people opposed to e-cigarettes will point to the US where there have mm. been deaths associated with the use of vaping. But that's in a completely unregulated market yeah. where there are just shonky operators and dodgy uh, products uh, going around. We should look to the UK and New Zealand where they have a regulated market. There's restrictions on advertising and they've been perfectly safe. Indeed, a report this week came out from Public Health England, the premier government health agency in England, saying 50,000 people... Uh, in 2017, had given up smoking thanks to vaping. It's the most effective quick quit aid around. About 60% of people end up quitting that use yeah. it. Um, and so we should look at that evidence. Like that is clear. And we're a bit of a we're, we're sort of we're behind the times here on this issue. We're very very we've done very very well. Led the world in plain packaging on cigarettes, restrictions on advertising, getting smoking rates down. But we're behind the times on vaping. All right, Matt, keep up the fight. We'll talk to you on this, I'm sure, again. And uh, and thank you for spending some time with us on the program. Appreciate it. No worries, mate. You have a good weekend. Thank you. All right, you too. All the best, Senator Matthew Canavan. Well, what do you make of it? Vaping. It's It's an issue, I think, that needs greater discussion and more debate. Because while we continue... Uh, to, I guess, outlaw it effectively. Uh, I mean, it's not legal, as Matthew said. It's not legal here in Australia. But people do get their hands on vapes. Why? Well, because it's a damn sight cheaper than buying traditional cigarettes. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if nobody vaped and nobody smoked ciggies? I mean, that would be the ultimate goal here. Uh, But let's be realistic. That's not going to happen, not for, for quite some time yet. So regulation of vaping, perhaps... Um, a tax on it, uh, which will ensure that we have funding available to research exactly what it is that these e-cigarettes or vapes contain. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. If you'd like to have you say, Marcus Paul in the morning. Mick is there. Hello, Mick. Hello, mate. Look, I smoked for about thirty years. All right. Yeah. Wasn't very good for me. Mm. I went on with the vapes because my nephews and my sister-in-law and all that were on them. Yeah. And fortunately, we have a guy down this way who makes the fluid in Australia, and he said, you've got to watch out for these two chemicals, acetyl, diacetyl, or whatever it is, you know, these Chinese companies are bringing in, they give you a thing called popcorn lung. Yeah. Um, I baked for about five years, and then he said to me, why don't you replace, I was importing nicotine from America once every 18 months. He said, why don't you replace the nicotine with a touch of the menthol fluid? Next thing you know, I hadn't had any nicotine for six months. I didn't realise I hadn't had any nicotine. Wow. I just stopped vaping. I just stopped vaping with, with no cravings. I just just didn't vape one day and didn't vape the next and didn't vape. in the end I thought you know what I've given these up altogether yeah. without even trying to and mate I had tried everything I had my tonsils out when I was 30 there's nothing more painful than that and adult tonsils I went yeah. back to smoking cigarettes but these vapors so long as you're using the Australian made and we're fortunate down here on the south coast the guy makes it down here mm. uh, Australian quality without those harmful chemicals um and then, as far as importing it goes, rum and jar, if they're important, simple as that. People will still import them. Yes, kids are using them. I know, because I work in a school, right? Yeah. They're walking around with them. Those disposable ones, they're terrible. Just ban them, you know? Like, they're more expensive anyway. Um, a school in Western Sydney, 
mm. actually provided them. This is going back about five or six years now. They had like a 70% smoking rate in the school, and they cut smoking down like 60 or 70% of the smokers took up vapes. Yep. The government told them, oh, you can't do that. They said, we're not even providing nicotine. We're just mm. providing these things. No, you can provide them with nicotine patches. You can provide them with nicotine tablets. You yeah. can't provide them with a non-nicotine alternative. Well, I, wow. understand, I understand that concern, though, because, again, uh, we don't know what the science says here yet in Australia, and that's part of why I wanted to start the conversation with uh, with Matthew Canavan this morning on this. He's, uh, well, I think he's one of the only politicians at a federal level who's doing some work on it. Uh, and good on him for doing it, because I think it's uh, it's something we need to discuss further. Thank you, mate. Great call. As always, Mick, have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, where it's now 14 to 7. Good morning to you. Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. All right, welcome back. Uh, 11 to 7, Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69. Back to your call soon. Now, Jody McKay has taken to social media, I saw overnight, citing extraordinary evidence from the Transport Minister who sacked a top official he ordered to fell millions of trees near highways after bushfires. Now, Rod Stables, we're told, didn't comply... His dismissal cost taxpayers $830,000. Was this request by Andrew Constance legal? Uh, Look, there is a story about it today. Some people are suggesting that perhaps it's not a story. Gaz says Jody needs to jog on and find something with substance, or even better, spend her valuable time coming up with some of her own policies rather than just slinging mud. Uh, Look, I don't know. Um, Let's find out a little bit more about it. 13, 12, 69, the number. Daniel Mookie is uh, from the, well, he's the Shadow Finance Minister, if you like, in New South Wales. Daniel, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. Hi, mate. Any time. I hope you've been well. So what's Yeah, ha- I hope you've been well, too. Thanks, buddy. What's happened here? Well, it was quite an extraordinary uh, revelation that took place yesterday. I was asking the minister about why it is that he removed the head of his department at the cost of taxpayers of more than $800,000. Can I just yeah, and, can I just interrupt? The, the reason, I guess, that we're concerned about the removal of, of, of this uh, very top-paid or well-paid bureaucrat, uh, Rod Staples, is because, as you know, a few weeks ago, Andrew Constance turned around in Parliament and said, watch this space, he may pop up again at North Connects. Now, uh, that's why I'm concerned. I'm concerned that this bloke's been let go, if you like, or sacked, we're paying out $830,000. We're probably going to pay him another big salary once he comes back on board again. I mean, why are we doing this? That's that's what yeah, we're concerned about. Yeah. Uh, and every taxpayer has a right to be concerned about this as well uh, because it is an extraordinary amount of money. I mean, we learned that the last year, the day after the budget, that the head of the transport department was being removed. It was costing taxpayers $830,000. And you're right in saying the minister then pops up in parliament and says, well, we might be hiring him back. I think uh, every taxpayer should be concerned about why we paid so much money uh, to one person after the minister effectively made a decision himself to remove him for no stated reason, only for the minister to then say, well, you know what, I might hire him back. 
that was why I was asking the minister these questions sure. yesterday, because yep. I do think taxpayers deserve these answers. Mm. And then in asking the minister these questions, it tumbles out that the minister had secretly ordered uh, the destruction of every tree within uh, 40 metres of each side of every state-controlled highway. And then when the head of the transport department says, you know what, this could be illegal, we then find out that uh, Minister Constance exercised his power to sack the department head for no stated reason. I think it's an extraordinary turn of events. I think that Minister Constance owes taxpayers an explanation about whether or not he fired the transport department head because uh, the transport department wouldn't implement an illegal order. And I also think that the Minister Constance needs to say, is he going to hire him back and to do what? And at what cost? So when you say an illegal order, is it illegal? Certainly the department thought so, because if you read the reply the department gave the minister, they told the minister clearly, we don't think we have this power under the Roads Act. Sure. Because it's not like... I mean, as every one of your listeners would know, to knock down a tree is not easy. No, To knock down millions of trees is, is extraordinary. And this would have seen the destruction of millions of trees. So it's not surprising that the department would say, you know what, we think this might be illegal. What is surprising is that the minister then proceeded anyway to effectively sack his department secretary in the wake of this extraordinary advice. But uh, do you think it's linked? Do you think the two instances are linked? Do you think that perhaps this is the reason this was the circuit breaker, this is why uh, Rod Staples was dismissed, because he refused uh, this um, order, if you like, from Andrew Constance, from the minister? Well, look, listening to the minister's explanation and um, watching him up close, I think that this whole episode was central to their relationship right now. Yeah, and not, and look, I'm not. Ministers and public servants have robust relationships, so I'm not going to. I'm not naive about this. But the difference between this one is that it cost eight taxpayers eight hundred thirty thousand dollars. Taxpayers have a right to know what happened, why their money was spent, because effectively the minister had a relationship breakdown with his department head, mm-hmm. and if, if if it if it was because the minister had made an illegal instruction, that's extraordinary. And I think taxpayers are entitled to ask what's going on here. Yep. Well, that's for if you put it in those terms. Well, yes, of course. And I think, uh, regardless of whether that was the circuit breaker, um, I want to know whether Rod Staples is going to be reinstated, and if so, why? And also, why have we paid out, you know, nearly nine hundred thousand dollars in severance only to welcome this bloke back? I'm not suggesting that he shouldn't be welcomed back. Maybe he should have gone on extended leave or something. I mean, it's not bad. Well, you're right to be concerned, Marcus, because it does seem like an expensive game of musical chairs at the taxpayer's expense. Yeah. And I don't think that taxpayers should have to fork over their hard-earned money in order to indulge uh, indulge these types of games. All right. Good to have you on as always, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Marcus. Have a good day, mate. Bye-bye. Daniel Mookie from the State Opposition. Wake up. Get up. Marcus Paul in the morning. Now, this is concerning. Emergency departments are witnessing an explosion in young people with self-harm and eating disorders. It's a silent epidemic sweeping New South Wales, so we're told. Uh, Now, News Corp reporting today, they've obtained data that reveals a 25% increase in kids aged 17 and under 
presenting to emergency with self-harm. In other words, there were 12,807 visits last year. Already in 2021, the figure is continuing to spike with a 29% increase in the first three weeks of the year compared with the same period in 2020, with a shocking 611 presentations. Now, the data has raised a red flag for the government that's according to the New South Wales Health Minister, Bronnie, uh, well, within the health department. It can be revealed that Bronnie Taylor is urgently working with the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists to form a strategy to target this problem with adolescent mental health flying squads, which she will seek a budget for. It's not good. I mean, suicides in New South Wales, in fact, dropped in 2020 despite fears the pandemic would send them soaring. But people are obviously still self-harming at a very young age. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. All right, there could be some problems at five minutes after seven with the trains in Sydney this morning. I I see here Julianne has written, How good is waking up at Sparrows? Just so you can go and exercise, only to be stuck on a train off Central for 40 minutes. What? The guard is announcing we're experiencing delays every five minutes. Like we don't realise the train isn't going anywhere. The bloke in front keeps snoozing his alarm so it goes off every eight minutes but obviously doesn't realise his error because it startles him every time. The fluoro army are getting the crankies big time but put on their best manners when calling the site office to explain why they're going to be late. And she concludes the note with, if you don't have to catch the train into Sydney this morning, don't. All right, we'll see if we can find out exactly. What's going on? 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. Quick break. Ian Yates in just a moment from the Council on the Ageing. Of course, Ian uh, is waiting with anticipated breath into the findings from the Royal Commissioner today into the aged care sector. 2SM Super Network News. News. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, 10 minutes after 7. Ian Yates from the Council on the Ageing in just a moment on the Aged Care Royal Commission. The final report is due today right now. Julianne's on the open line. Jules, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. How's it going? All right. I just read out uh, your post with a couple of edits. Uh, you'd be frustrated because there are problems on the trains. You've been, what, were you stuck near Central for 40 minutes? Yeah, the, yeah, the Campbelltown train um, heading to Central was delayed off Central for about 40 minutes. Um, it wasn't that just that line, though. There's a problem at Circular Quay. So the trains all around the city circle are a right mess. Um, mm. and people are late for work. People are late for their appointments. Um, oh I'm late for my personal training session. Well, I've missed it, actually. I know oh it's dear. a first-world problem, but, but you know, still. I'm prepaid for that, and I'm going to lose it. Oh, no. And you, you're up early for it as well? Yeah, that's it. I did get up at 4.30 to sit on the train for 40 minutes. Oh, no. Um, Frustrating. But, uh, at least it's Friday and it's the weekend tomorrow, and I don't have to catch the train tomorrow. Very true. All right. Well, what are you going to do then? You're in town early. What can you do? Can you just go for a nice walk yourself? Or? 
Well, no, I'm starting to run out of time. I'm going to have to go to the office and get dressed. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Maybe you should have done some sit-ups and push-ups or something on the train. You had the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. In front of everyone. That would have been nice. <laughs> Why not? All right, Jules, you have a wonderful weekend and thank you for the info. I appreciate it. No worries. See you later. See you, mate. All right, yeah, well, we've got a note here from City Rail. The T2 Sydney trains, the T3 Sydney trains and the T8 Sydney trains are all experiencing delays right now. They're currently operating in one direction only around the city circle via museum, and that is due to a mechanical issue with a track maintenance vehicle at Circular Quay. So there we go. So trains on the T2, T3 and T8 Sydney line are experiencing delays because of a, an issue with track maintenance at Circular Quay and as a result services uh, will be delayed. So you need to allow plenty of extra travel time and check your apps for the latest updates. All right, 12 minutes after seven, Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, if nothing else, the findings today, the final report into the Royal Commission, into the aged care sector, will show us that we need to listen, really bloody listen, to older people and their families. For too long, the government has ignored the views of older people. And that's been to the detriment of the sector. Historically, older Australians who use aged care services have never had a seat at any negotiating table on how to improve things in aged care. I mean, we urgently need a new Aged Care Act that focuses on the human rights of older people and not the bloody profits of providers. Those that are in aged care need to be treated as human beings, not numbers, on a spreadsheet for profit. Ian Yates is from the Council on the Ageing. Ian, good morning to you, mate. Good morning. I think you'd agree with pretty much everything I've mentioned there. Oh, absolutely. Um, we certainly are looking forward to the Royal Commission's report, which will go to the Governor-General today and be released by the government in... Um, we expect it to be a very big report, yeah. um, of course. Uh, and we're saying that government needs to take a bit of time to digest it. Um, indications from the final hearing of the Royal Commission were that the actually have also some divergent views that will have to be worked through. Mm. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely right. Government needs to work closely with the uh, uh, consumer organisation uh, uh. and making sure that that, that the oh, that older Australians get a big say in what kind of aged care system uh, the government's prepared to uh, create. Look, one of the most common complaints heard during the Royal Commission is that aged care homes do not employ enough staff. And the other issue, um, of course, is that um, even if there is a you know an adequate number of staff, they're not appropriately skilled. I mean, this is an issue we need to rectify as soon as possible. Absolutely. The workforce is one of the critical issues. And the, the other very common uh, complaint, when you say fear, uh, which the Royal Commission named pretty strongly in its interim report, is the over-institutionalised approach of aged care. Um, it's not, you know, that the really this is the system that the providers have decided to run and not a system designed around the people it's for. Well, that's right. Um, I mean, it's it's almost, and I know people throw this term around a lot, but all this, you know, this profits before people kind of scenario, but there's a lot of truth to that. Well, yes, there is, except, of course, these issues apply to not-for-profits as well as to for-profits. 
Um, and, you know, there is no doubt that the aged care system needs more money uh, and we need more more staff. We need more well-trained personal carers who get paid a lot more. We do need more nurses, but we also need more allied health people uh, who work with uh, old, with older people to keep them active uh, and, 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 in fact, restore some of their function. We need all of those things and we need a plan to get there because you can't do that overnight. We need a lot more home care. We've yes. had a lot more home care, and the government certainly put a lot of new home care packages on the on the table this year. Mm. But we'll need a lot more of that. But we do need a system in which the good providers who 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 older people like and queue up for, and they have waiting lists. Those providers are allowed to expand, and we get rid of a very substantial number of providers who are just not up to the scratch in terms of a modern age care. I think I've heard you say that probably one third of all current operators within the aged care sector aren't up to standard and probably should nick off. Well, absolutely, um, and you know the the Royal Commission in its interim report made very clear what uh, the government and providers have been not prepared to admit, which is that this is just not a few bad eggs. It's actually quite a lot. And they talked about neglect. Um, so it's, qu- it's quite a lot. And we need this system to change. We need structural adjustment. Oh, that's a fancy term. What we need is we need to uh, shake this system, rattle the cages, uh, and make sure that w- what we have left are providers who are prepared to actually work with the older people yep. and what they want uh, for their support and care. Yeah, uh, we need governments to act on it as well. I mean, there's. Yes. I mean, I could. I need to take my shoes and socks off and and probably bring a few more staff in here, and we count on our fingers and toes the amount of inquiries and reviews and looks into this system over the past couple of decades, but it would appear, unfortunately, the governments haven't paid too much attention to what's required. So can you, do you have confidence that finally, I mean, this thing's cost a lot of money, do you have uh, confidence that we will see some change, Ian? Look, I, I am reasonably hopeful that we'll see some change. I certainly think we will see, see some significant change. Um, you know, the, it's the current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, he called this Royal Commission not long after he became Prime Minister. Um, we know he has an active interest in it, and we're certainly looking to him uh, to make sure that this government delivers a really major change. Not just, I think, you know, they have responded to many reports over years, but to the smaller bits, not to the big things. And this is... Uh, this is a system that needs turning on its head. That's yeah. what uh, that's what uh, the Royal Commission said in its interim report. Um, and I think Commissioner Briggs, for example, who did many of the hearings with older people, made it very clear that the system needs to be turned upside down so that the consumer, the older person, is in charge of the system. Um, and government needs to have some political courage uh, about making sure that happens. Are you concerned, just on to another issue quickly, I mean, obviously the Royal Commission into the aged care sector is at the forefront of, of your mind and everybody else's today, but, uh, I mean, our COVID vaccine rollout in aged care is already plagued by delays. I mean, only 70 of a planned 240 facilities have received the first doses so far this week. Uh, the government says there's been a bit of issue in the supply chain with its operator and they're going to give them a bit of a hurry on and, and maybe get another contractor on board. We need to roll out these vaccinations in this sector as, as quickly and as effectively as possible. Uh, yes, 
Um, yes, we do, uh, we, but we need to do it safely. And this is a huge logistical exercise. I think what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I expected to be uh, bumps in the road in the first week. Um, I expect the government to get on top of those, yeah. or governments governments to get on top of those because this is this is federal and state. Uh, let's let's be patient and see how it rolls out. Uh, getting these vaccinations out to everybody in aged care and disability, our most vulnerable citizens, is really quite critical. And and as a country, it would be really nice if we could have everybody vaccinated in one week. That's not going to happen. It's not possible. No, of course It'll be not. safe. So let's be patient, and within a few months, we will be in a really sound position. All right, look, it's great to have you on the program on this very important day for the aged care sector, Ian. Let's talk again maybe next week once the findings are handed down, uh, uh, the final findings into the Royal Commission into Aged Care. Have a great day, Ian. Look after yourself. Happy, happy to do so. Thank you. All right, there he is, Ian Yates, Council on the Ageing. Two SM has Sydney talk. Oh my goodness, John Laws, where the survivors? Two SM has Sydney talking. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, Andrew Lee, um, who is a regular on our program on Mondays, uh, he's named another couple of companies that have done very well out of the pandemic. Thank you very much. Uh, but they don't want to be paying any of their job keeper back. I'll go into some detail on that for you very soon. Meantime, Anthony Albanese went Chad style yesterday in federal parliament. Will it be enough to turn his popularity around? He certainly gave it a good crack. This is what characterises the government. Whether it's sports rorts, community safety rorts, grass gate, water gate, forged documents, and matters as grave as bushfires, the pandemic, or reported sexual assault. The Prime Minister always thinks about the politics and he never accepts responsibility. It's always someone else. No wonder this government doesn't want a National Integrity Commission. This Prime Minister promised it in 2018. But the fact is, the fact is that they've walked away from that commitment as well. And we see in this parliament that with legislation, uh, sometimes the only thing we did yesterday was to change a couple of words about freedom of speech to, quite ironically, from a government that shuts down freedom of speech in this chamber. They don't actually have an agenda coming out of the COVID pandemic. That is very, very clear. They have an agenda about themselves, an obsession with themselves, an obsession with protecting themselves. This Prime Minister doesn't have your back because he's too busy protecting his own back. Exactly. He doesn't have your back if you want security of work. He doesn't have your back if you want to be confident of safety in your own workplace. He doesn't have your back if you expect him to keep renegade MPs like Craig Kelly from endangering public health. He certainly doesn't have your back if you're risking your life to de delivering food for 10 bucks an hour on an old bike. This government, and we supported them, stood up on the issue of the media code. But when it comes to when it comes to standing up on the issue of gig workers, they say it's all too hard, it's complicated. What's complicated about paying people the minimum wage in this country? What's complicated about decent wages and conditions that most Australians take for granted? The fact is that this Prime Minister, this Prime Minister has shown a lot about his character. 
since he took over the job. Yep. Empathy lies outside of the limits of Scott Morrison's character. That's clear to one and all, and unfortunately it's been on full display in the last fortnight. Well, there you go. He's certainly having a crack. There's a cut through, though. Who knows? I'm probably the only one to report on it. That's the problem. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, keep on moving. Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69 is our telephone number. We're off to the newsroom in just a couple of moments. As you know, Andrew Lee is a regular on a Monday on our program. I like to speak to Andrew because he's trying to recover your money, my money, our money, taxpayer dollars. It's been handed out to big companies, uh, you know, first and foremost because of the COVID-19 pandemic. There was no problem with that. But the thing is, business has been good for a number of these companies, whether it's Harvey Norman or others, and they need to start paying some of the millions of dollars that they receive from taxpayers because, well, they've been able to pay everybody and importantly as well, pay their shareholders dividends and big bosses big bonuses. So how about they pay us our money back, eh? Anyway, I'll give you some more detail on that in just a moment. 7.30. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program. 25 minutes away from 8 o'clock. Very busy show today. Make sure you check out our podcast a little later. Uh, That discussion that I had, a very important discussion with Ian Yates will be up there. Uh, of course we'll, uh, you can revisit our chat with Matthew Canavan this morning as well on vaping uh, and whether Andrew Constance, the New South Wales Transport Minister, needs to answer questions as to why he sacked one of the most well-paid bureaucrats in transports and was it because he disregarded an order to clear trees on the south coast? Anyway, it'll all be up there a little later. Okay, one of the uh, the really wonderful things I've done in my career, or had to, or not had to, but something that I undertook when I lived and worked up on the Gold Coast in Brisbane was uh, through Griffith University. I actually was able to mentor a number of young up-and-coming journalists. And there was a, a group of them, and they've all done very well, including uh, the next young lady that I'm about to bring on. I don't want to embarrass her, but... I got a note from her this morning. She's been doing some wonderful reporting up on the north coast of New South Wales. And she did her first national television cross this morning on the Today Show. Her name is Britt Ramsey. Good morning to you, Britt. Good morning, Marcus. How are you? I'm good. You sound excited and so you, sh- you should be. Congratulations to you. Thank you. I can't get the smile off my face. It's, um, it's, a, it's a strange feeling. Well, it, and and so you should be smiling because it's a career highlight for you. Uh, you're a young journalist. You you know you you're going through uh, the regions at the moment, uh, doing a job. Which network are you with at the moment? So I'm with NBN Television, which is basically regional channel nine. Okay, so and today you got the big call up on on the national stage. Uh, did you speak to um, who's on there? Carl and Ali, is that right? Uh, we spoke to, I spoke to Sylvia this morning, and Sylvia. she's on with Carl. Uh, Sylvia and Carl. So they called you up and said, look, we want to have a chat with you. Uh, we need to find out what's going on with, at Nana Glen. Uh, we've had a train derailment. 
and we've had a lot of rain and we've got some flooding going on. Uh, the Arara River and other areas have had some issues there, Britt. So well done to you. It was a great cross. Thank you. Yeah, it, uh, we had a bit of a technical glitch, but we, we oh, came no back worry. and it was Nobody great. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows. All right, so tell me, what's going on up there at the moment on the river uh, around Coots Crossing? So basically the river, the Uriah River at Coots Crossing, it's, it's going to peak this morning at about 10.5 metres. Um, so there will be some moderate flooding uh, attached to that. Um, it is falling at Glen Ray, but we still need to keep an eye on things out that way because there was so much water yesterday and with more rain overnight, it's just so wet around the area. And not to mention there was the train derailment out at Nana Glen yesterday. Yeah. So there's going to be picking up the pieces of that one for quite a while. Now, that train derailment, um, obviously there'll be an investigation into it, but um, some have suggested perhaps there was some some subsidence because there's been so much rain, maybe everything got a little soft under the tracks. Yeah, that's what we're hearing is that there was just a... It was a um, causeway that some... More water than expected, I guess, went through over there, and it made it a bit unstable. And the, you know, the locos have gone over it, but it just couldn't take the weight of it. It was a fifteen hundred metre long train, and Whoa. sixteen carriages came toppling down. Mm. And it actually, all the ones that fell, um, I mean, it's never a good thing. But the five carriages that had dangerous goods, they were upright. Oh, okay, so that's good. That's really good news. But there is a lot of mess, a lot of damage. It was. Um, a concertina effect. It was insane. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Britball, I just wanted to touch base with you on that. Of course, uh, you do need to keep an eye on things. Uh, there are a number of places you can go. Of course, if you're up in that area, uh, make sure you watch NBN News and listen to and listen and watch to uh, Brit's reports. But no, of course, you know, please, the SES don't want to be pulling you out of floodwaters. What's the old saying? Um, you know, flooded, forget it. That's it. All right, mate. Well, congratulations. Thank you for your report for us this morning, and I'm very proud of you. Thank you, Marcus. I think I taught you everything you know. Is that right? I would say so, yes. Almost. All right, Almost. mate. Well done. Thank you. See you later. <laughs> Bye, mate. There she is. Uh, NBN reporter Britt Ramsey. As I say, an old uh, student who uh, I was fortunate enough to, to mentor. Uh, she came to, I think I was at CFM Gold, FM Gold Coast, and then up to uh, the FM stations up in Brisbane, and she came in and did some work there um, as she undertook her final uh, six months of study. And there she is, uh, just a few years later now, making her national television debut. And I know Britt well, and I know she comes from a wonderful family, and I know that they'd be all very proud of her this morning. I know her family listened to the Super Radio Network as well. So well done to her. 13, 12, 69. All right, a quick break. Mark Latham next. 2SM Sydney Traffic. M5, uh, busy but moving traffic between Beach Road down towards Currajong Road. Looking at slow traffic, Seaforth over the Spit Bridge and down towards that Mossman area southbound direction. Hurstville, Queens Road, Wright Street, two-car accident. This is impacting both directions through there at the moment. In Queen Street, uh, Campbelltown Road, Campbelltown, that earlier accident cleared. Your local Caltex may have changed to Ampol branding, but your Star Card and the new Ampol card are both accepted at Caltex and Ampol branded locations. Look out for the red and blue eight. 
today. Sydney's favourite weekend fishing show. That's right. And it's, a, it's a great time of year to get out there and get amongst it. This sort of early uh, summer slash late autumn well, time. It's a transition sort of period between the winter species and the summer species. Yep. So you get yeah a lot of lot of options. High tide on 2SM. It's fantastic. Yeah, the the brim are, are back and they're hungry and it's just great. There's no shortage of fish to be caught at the moment. High tide weekends from 4 a.m. on 2SM. 1269. Danny's Seafood Restaurant offers everything you'd expect when dining out. A superb location, outstanding value, excellent service and an extensive menu catering for all tastes. Anytime is a good time for beautiful, fresh seafood. And if you haven't yet tried Danny's famous fish and chips, do it soon. Other popular choices include fresh lobster, oysters and crabs, as well as tender, juicy steaks and pastas. Danny's Seafood Restaurant, boasting spectacular water views over Botany Bay. Anzac Parade, La Perouse. Peters of Kensington offers the ultimate shopping experience and you can enjoy the best of both worlds by shopping in-store or online. Select from an abundance of fine quality products including kitchenware, glassware, homeware, dinnerware and amazing gift ideas. If you're looking for a gift with a unique edge, Peters themed hampers are a great idea for birthdays and other special occasions. Peters of Kensington, 57 Anzac Parade, Kensington or shop online at petersofkensington.com.au G'day Murph Hughes here. Summer is here and that means two things. Our big quick sustaining on the pitch and your car's aircon needs to be on top of its mark. Your off stump will be blown away by the aircon service at your local Repco authorised service centre. Their fully qualified mechanics will keep you cool all year with a comprehensive service on your car's aircon system, no matter what you drive. Book online today at repcoservice.com. Recently retired and want to give back to the community? Looking to contribute to a worthwhile cause? Join View Clubs of Australia, a friendly women's network in your local community. View supports the Smith family to help Australian children in need break the cycle of poverty. Become a member today. Call 1800 805 366 or go to view.org.au Email us, check out our podcasts and listen live to smsupernetwork.com And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Mark Latham. All right, 16 to 8 on this Friday morning, Mark Latham is from, of course, One Nation, New South Wales. He joins us each Friday. G'day, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thanks, Mark. It's really good to be with you. Yeah, thank you very much. You've spent a fair bit of your life, your working life, your professional life, your political life in Canberra. Does the workplace culture there need to change? Well, whatever's gone on, and certainly these allegations of rape are incredibly serious, um, there's a lot of speculation about what needs to be done, but the bottom line is that the only solution to any of these issues is for people to go directly and straight away to the police. Yeah, of course. And I'm I'm very concerned about this, this talk of kangaroo courts and tribunals and mediating bodies in Canberra. Mm. Uh, even the report now that uh, if um, people suspect criminality in their office, they've got to report it to the Prime Minister. Well, it's not the job of the Prime Minister to collect uh, reports of criminality, it's the police. And uh, in New South Wales, and also the ACT, uh, we've spent billions on the police, the courts, the criminal justice system, the prisons, 
and um, it's there to be used directly. So I, I just don't like the idea. We've seen kangaroo courts in the university system that deny natural justice. They don't follow the rules of evidence or proper legal representation. People can have their lives destroyed by some of these allegations. Sure. Uh, kangaroo courts don't work out very well for the alleged victims. So the, the bottom line really is go straight to the police uh, when the evidence is fresh and people who've committed serious crime should spend a very long time in jail. Well, that's right. Look, I don't want to talk about the incident in general for obvious reasons because it's now a police matter, but I'll declare an interest here. Um, I know Brittany Higgins. I'm, I'm good mates with her partner. He's an old producer of mine at 2CC in Canberra. Now, um, we've known about this for quite some time. Well, I have, certainly. Um, the, the issue was that Brittany did not feel safe uh, going to report this incident to police because she feared there'd be, uh, quote-unquote, political repercussions. So basically she thought if she goes ahead and reports this alleged incident, and it's alleged, of course, need to be very clear, that she thought, well, if I do this, I'm never going to work in this place again. That's very unfair. Well, it is. Um, if, if that's the standard, that's got to change. And, yeah. and they should write into the employment contracts clauses that clearly specify if anyone goes to the police with a legitimate complaint, um, they should never be punished, uh, jeopardised in the workplace because of that. They've got to have a protection. Yeah. You've got to protect people who have um, reports of criminality that the police act on. So um, that if, if a change needs to be made, it, mm. it sounds like that's where it needs to happen rather than the suggestion that in future cases uh, there's some internal tribunal, cross-party tribunal or a vetting body in Parliament House that looks at these things, that makes its own judgments and then decides to take it on to the police. I just think that's incredibly stupid and incredibly dangerous. Well, it is. Because these kangaroo courts haven't worked out in higher education and they certainly no. won't work out well in Parliament House. No, and the problem is too is... is it's as clear as the nose on our faces. It's become a political issue, and quite clearly it should be a police issue. And thank goodness now um, they are investigating, and, and hopefully um, it can be sorted out one way or another. Look, Rob Stokes and the new planning division for Sydney, what do you make of all of this, Mark? Well, I always look at the nonsense that every four or five years someone in the planning department comes out with a new plan for cycleways, that all of a sudden we're going to ditch our cars and ride bicycles. Now, if you live in Penrith or Hawkesbury region yeah. or southwest Sydney through Camden, Campbelltown, the idea that cycleways are of any practical use for you is just so absurd. I mean, it's an inner-city obsession. But the bulk of people in Sydney live in the suburbs. Yes. And in those suburbs, uh, the car is an essential item uh, mm -hmm. for getting around, for getting to work, for getting to the train station. Yep. And cycleways um, have got no practical impact. So to have a, yet again another planning emphasis on cycleways, I just think is ridiculous to think that's the way of the future post-COVID is a nonsense. And the other thing in this is that every single planning document we're getting in New South Wales now says the planning principle is connection to country, an Indigenous principle. But, you know, they did this at the Aerotropolis, the big residential and commercial area they're building around Sydney Second yeah. International Airport. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's no connection to country there. The, the, the reality is that they're knocking down all the vegetation the Indigenous once inhabited yep. and lived in mm. uh, to build huge tarmacs of an international airport, uh, residential estates, industrial, commercial, tourism areas. Yep. 
This is virtue signalling of the worst kind. It's an insult, I think, to the Indigenous to say somehow the urban planning of, of Sydney, this, this sort of vast metropolis with large areas of tarmac and concrete, somehow has a connection to country. Like, there's a, there's a room, obviously, for Indigenous heritage and, and, and values, of course, but not to the point of absurdity. And that's where Rob Stokes is taking this. And he and the chief guy in the planning department are as delusional as any people I've ever seen in my time in politics. Why are they doing it, Mark, do you think? Is it to, you know, to, to cross a few uh, T's and dots and I's to ensure that they're being politically correct and, and virtue signalling, if we want to use that term, just so that they uh, don't fake, face criticism? I mean, I, mean I, I agree with you entirely. I mean, the airport's the airport. Uh, if you want to, I guess, acknowledge um, the traditional owners or original owners, whatever you want, whichever term you want to use of the land, that's fine. When you put up the big sign saying, welcome to Sydney's Badgery Scroll, Nancy Birdwood, uh, Nancy Walton Bird Airport, you know, put underneath on whatever land it was, the traditional owners. That surely is a lot easier and uh, and probably would show respect to um, the Aboriginal ancestors from that area, I think. Well, there's not much more you can do other than not. that when you're building an international airport, exactly. knocking down the vegetation yep. and, and, and putting up housing estates and industrial and tourism areas. So the, the reality is that this connection to country mm. approach is the politics of feel good, the warm inner glow, virtue signalling has no practical impact. No on Indigenous people, wouldn't the smart thing to do to say, look, there's about 60,000 Indigenous people who live in Western Sydney, you know, the airport's going to be part of helping them get a job. Absolutely. And getting a job for their children. Mm-hmm. And it can be part of training for their kids so they yep. can become tradesmen and, 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 and move into the workforce. Isn't that the practical thing we want out of new developments, not some sort of set of Indigenous dots on the, on the document and a statement of connection to country that has no practical impact you know, we've got to improve the lives of Indigenous people rather than insult them with this kind of stuff. And there's a, there's a document out there at the um, airport where they said, oh, we consulted with the Indigenous community. And the consultants came back and said, oh, the Indigenous community said, uh, this is 130 people they spoke to. That, that's yeah. all. The Indigenous people said they were suffering consultation fatigue. Oh, for goodness sake. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. Consultation no. for They've been spoken to so many times mm. about these projects. They've got mm. consultation fatigue. Just set well, up path- helping people yeah. get a job? Yeah, you're right. Uh, just set up pathways. If you're going to consult, uh, then do it practically. Um, earn your money. Set up pathways for uh, young Indigenous uh, people in Western Sydney uh, to be a part of the construction where they can, you know, as you say, uh, make a practical contribution and in return... Um, earn some money and obviously be a part of constructing something that will be vitally important to the uh, the future of our city. Now, how do you say it? Is it cordor or cowder? I've, I've, I've always cordor. marked it up. Cordor, of course it is. It's cordor. down your neck of the woods. Um, yeah. What's going on down there and what the hell has Dodgy Darrell got to do with it? Well, we had a full day of parliamentary hearings about it yesterday with the Transport Minister and officials as to how Darrell Maguire and Country Garden found out about a major road proposed through oh, there, yeah, the Outer right. Sydney Orbital. Mm. Uh, they knew this um, in late 2017, three months ahead of the uh, road uh, uh, details being published. Mm. They knew more than the local members of parliament and certainly the local residents. And it was the key to opening up 
um, a housing estate on 400 hectares of land they purchased a couple of years earlier in, in land speculation. So um, the Transport Minister couldn't explain this. There's emails from uh, transport planning officials there, evidence to the committee yesterday in, in, in budget estimates in the New South Wales Parliament, quite frankly, was an embarrassment to them. It, it was just all over the shop. So we'll have to have further inquiries, and I hope ICAC has further inquiries into how this uh, Chinese land developer and Daryl Maguire knew about uh, road details before uh, local members of parliament, before yeah. it was even published by the New South Wales government, and it yeah. gave them enormous commercial advantage with their 4,000 lot housing estate. Didn't they say, didn't they try and claim that they learned of this new highway route from maps that were published? Uh, come on. I mean,. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of maps that get published that uh, might suggest a future road corridor or whatever. But that's, you know, that's far from being public policy or something that's being put into play. No, they'll broad brush lines on the map, the planning documents for 2056. (laughs) So the officials are saying, oh, they worked it out from those documents. I I live near there and I looked at those documents. But if you could work out the way Country Garden did, this Chinese land developer, if you could work out exactly where the road is going from from that particular document, you're, you're obviously um, the new Einstein of, um, <laughs> of map analysis because it's just impossible. These sort of just broad lines on the map, squiggles that go down, no suburb names, no street names, but by the end of it, Country Garden had to the metre mm. a prediction of where the um, outer Sydney orbital road would cut their property on its northeast corner, and if they got an interchange there, and that seemed very likely, mm. uh, it would open up this new housing estate with enormous financial advantage for them and Daryl Maguire. So um, we interrogated this yesterday. We found yes. out that it's uh, highly likely the Premier was involved in the in the meetings that established the um, uh, likelihood of an interchange to open up that housing estate. So I think there's a lot there for ICAC in particular to investigate. All right, well, keep on it, mate, because it's obviously a case of not only what you know, but who you know. And, you know, the Premier of this state always tends to say, well, I don't need to know about any of that. Mm. Well, it's important for the public to know exactly what went on there because land developers shouldn't be getting a leg up. There shouldn't be advanced knowledge of these uh, road details. And um, I certainly believe if the Premier attended any of those meetings about the planning of the road and the tunnel that was announced that would have been advantageous to Country Garden, she should have declared a conflict conflict of interest, given that uh, the partner in life, Daryl Maguire, Mm. effectively was on the Country Garden payroll. Absolutely. Mark, it's great to have you on the program. Thank you, mate. Have a great weekend. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Marcus. Cheers. All right, there he is, Mark Latham, One Nation, New South Wales. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. Yeah, he's right, you know. He's right. Uh, ICAC really need to have a really good look into this this corridor land deal. And, um, you know, who knew what and what they knew, when they knew, and the connection between the Premier and Daryl Maguire. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
All right, welcome back to the program, our last hour for the week. Uh, we'll get into happy hour in a couple of moments. Uh, something very funny from our mate down south, Sammy J. He's uh, taken on <laughs> the, uh, the role of the coach again, and the coach has got a COVID-19 jab. Uh, by the way, uh, parts of the far north coast have been swamped with more than 300 millimetres of rain. There is a bit of a flood emergency, as we heard Britt Ramsey, uh, one of my old journalism mentees, uh, report for us this morning. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that for you. If you're listening to us on the far north coast and you have an update or you're concerned, please feel free to contact us. Uh, Marcus Paul in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com for your emails and of course 131269 on the open line now. Dennis, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Marcus. Can you hear me? I've got you, mate. Go ahead. Yep. Oh. I was listening to Mark Latham, and he's correct when he says that you should report any criminality. But at the moment, we've got two cases where uh, people have reported criminality, and they're up in court. You've got that witness, Kay, who came out and and uh, and uh, yes. with the, came out with the uh, bugging of the embassy in East Timor. He's now in court in a closed court in Canberra. It's a closed court. It's ridiculous. Mm. And Peter Isn't Dutton it? needs to explain exactly yeah. why, but he won't because he believes no. he's a law unto himself. I mean, this guy was a whistleblower, did the right thing. Yep. I mean, and uh, as, as I said, and as you said, a closed court. Is this China, Russia? Now, the other one is the other witness who, who come forward, the whistleblower who uh, said about the atrocities that our soldiers may have uh, committed in Afghanistan. Now, he's in trouble too. So you, you, you report criminality yep. and, uh, and and the house falls on you. Well, well, it can, uh, particularly if there's mm. a so-called national interest, inverted commas, at play. And I don't mm. – uh, that's why – see, I get a little frustrated. And as I mm. mentioned earlier, I've got a bit of a, an interest here, which I've declared. I, I know, Brittany. Yep. I know I'm very close with her partner. Um, yep. You know, for instance, why on earth would um, yeah. an internal AFP division placed at Parliament House be the first people mm. to respond? I mean, that's, again, mm. that's that's not the way can, things should be handled. It should be at can, arm's length yeah. from Parliament House. Can I mention something about that? Uh, just be very careful now because, no, of course, be it's, it's before I the courts. I will be careful. Now, uh, I won't... So a person goes to her boss and says, <clears throat> you know, something's happened to her. Yep. And the boss says, now, there's two scenarios. The boss says, oh, listen, uh, you should go straight to the police. You know, OK, look, I'm going to call the police. You've reported this. I must. It's, it's my duty. to. I can't hide a, a crime that's been committed. I have to, now, or the other one, oh, look, don't, don't. If I was you, I wouldn't report this because your 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 future career in the uh, in, in you know is on the, is in jeopardy. But I'm not telling you what to do. But mm. you think about that. You know, think about that. Uh, I'm not putting many pressure on you. But uh, if you report this, so which one do you think? Which scenario do you think <clears throat> would have happened? I know which one happened. You know, but uh, anyway. Well, I- you Sorry. Hopefully uh, it'll all get sorted out and one way or another we'll find uh, the truth of the matter. I know there are two sides to every story, but uh-huh. I mean, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire and this bloke, uh, the, uh, look, there's a whole, there's a lot of rumours circulating. Rumours mm. uh, which kind of, when you put them all together, make a little bit of sense. I mean, I'm uh-huh. hearing that this fellow, the alleged uh, perpetrator, uh-huh. has fled the country. I'm also... 
heard that he possibly, quite possibly, has a link to the Morrison family. So, look, there's a whole uh, range of rumours okay. that are circulating. So you've got to be very okay, careful. Listen, you're doing a good job, Mark. Thank you, mate. Thank you, and I appreciate it. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine to have you say. Dave. Oh, okay, let's kick off happy hour with my mate Dave. Um, let's set it up for you, Dave. Here we go. Every Friday we have a little bit of fun. Uh, by the way, who are we speaking to next week, Scruff? We've had some great artists on the program recently. Um, but next week, here he comes. Come on in. Where you been all my life? Where you been? You've been sleeping at no, I'm No, I have not been. Uh, it's been you'll a very be, busy day. You'll be very happy to hear this because I know you're a big fan. Mm. Pete Murray. He's oh, got, Pete Murray. He's got a brand new album coming out I very like soon. Pete. And uh, he'll call from, I think he lives in Byron Bay. Oh, he's one of Byron Bay's best surfers, <laughs> yes. is Pete Murray, up yeah. there on the uh, north coast, lucky fella. So we'll speak to him next Friday. All right, so Pete Murray next Friday. Uh, we had Amy Shark last uh, last week, and we've had, uh, who else have we spoken to so far this year? Oh, many Kate people. Sobrano. Kate Sobrano. She was wonderful. We're, we're, we're going to try and speak to, uh, I'm looking forward to Sushi. The sushi, sushi mango, sushi mango. They're what pretty funny Jordan? fellas. Can we can we wake Jordan up? Uh, listen, he doesn't get up before ten. Listen, any uh, friendly <laughs> prawnies that might be listening, it's time to put a, put a bit of pressure on Jordan. Uh, tell him to wake up early on a Friday because we need him to come on. All right, all right. Uh, Dave, morning, mate. How are you? The patient says, "Doctor, mm. I think I've got Dutch flu." The doctor says, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well." I'm all clogged up. Oh, Dave. All right, thank you. Clogged up. I get it. 13, 12, 69. If you would like to have you say happy hour. Uh, bring me down. Can't run. Uh, bring me down. The love is too high. Uh, bring me down. Can't run. Uh, bring me down. I said, take me down. Uh, bring me down. All right, it's a quarter past eight now for a little giggle, I think, for happy hour this morning. Uh, we thought we'd catch up with our mate Sammy J from down south in Victoria, a, a great comedian with the uh, ABC. He's uh, We played these skits before, and the video of it, by the way, is up on Marcus Paul in the morning. Just go to 2smsupernetwork.com and click on our page. You'll see it there. It's very funny. One of the characters that Sammy does is a coach. Um, and it has a bit of an AFL theme, but uh, you get the uh, you get the drift. And the coach, this character, I see he was first in line the other day to get the uh, COVID-19 jab. A big week in Australia with the COVID-19 vaccination program rolling out across the country. Here we see the Prime Minister receiving his shot on Sunday. And I believe we're crossing live to the government coach who is set to receive the jab any minute now. We good? Yeah, we good? Can I take my mask off yet? Sweet. Can't be too careful. Okay, uh, rightio. Well, without any further adoos, uh, welcome everyone. A uh, massive day for the club here. Uh, you know, we've been playing on needles for a while now, so can't think of a more fitting way of getting back on the field. And from what I'm told, it's just going to be a little prick. <laughs> Has everyone else in the country already made that joke, have they? Yeah, no. Fair enough. Uh, right, today's not about me, of course, it's about the fans. So I want to introduce Margaret. Margaret's just received her first vaccination and she's a long-time supporter of the club. I'm voting for Albo. Well, I hope that's not a side effect. Rightio, Margaret, you're dead to me. Might move along to the doctor instead, who can tell us all about the science in more uh, specific detail. Well, welcome, everybody. 
Today we'll be administering the first shot of the Pfizer vaccination. Is there a Pfizer? I thought I was getting the AstraZeneca. No, it's the Pfizer. Well, which one's a good one? Well, they're both effective in stopping severe symptoms. Yeah, but I'm trying to project confidence here, Doc, and how can I have confidence if you're giving me the crap vaccine? This is the Pfizer. What's the rest of the country getting? The AstraZeneca. The crap one? Yeah, but I'm getting the good one. Okay, carry on. Now, we do need to administer this fairly quickly due to temperature requirements. Okay. If you could just roll up your sleeve. No worries. Sorry, green and gold's a bit tight. Should I take it off? Oh, yeah, probably. Okay, best. no worries. Here it comes. Go, Sharkies. Uh, we still need to see your arm. Oh, sorry. I'll take this one off too. There we are. Now, when the needle is presented, you may wish to look the other way. Mate, looking the other way is what our club does best. You've been reading the headlines lately? Not on Facebook, obviously. Yeah, Coach, what do you say to the people who are anxious about the vaccine? Oh, well, as ScoMo says, you've got to have a jab to get a jab. You know, we're all about jabs and growth here. And how many of the players have been vaccinated other than ScoMo? Oh, we've just done the superstars, Greg Hunt, uh, Spud Dutton and uh, Barnaby Joyce. Although he's had a few uh, nasty side effects. Barnaby's gone fully red in the face and started frothing at the mouth. Yeah. Excuse me, Coach. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, Barnaby hasn't had his vaccine yet. Oh, there you go. Oh, sorry, Coach, we can't actually get to your arm. Exactly how many Australian sports jerseys do you have on? Um, I think 17, last count. Can't be too Australian, can you? Well, the batch is about to expire. So OK, OK. Well, don't want to hold it up. Uh, let's just... Let's go with the glutes, eh? What do you reckon? <sighs> OK. Yeah. That's it. OK. Remember, Australia, stay safe, stay open. Oh, is this going to hurt? No more than me on JobSeeker. Oh, you bloody mongrel. OK, rodeo. Go for gold. OK, just give me a, a little warning if you wouldn't mind. Sir Robert Menzies! Oh, there it is. It's that easy. OK, how's that, Margaret? Come on, be for vaccine. Show us what you got. That's how you do it. It's that simple, Australia. We got this. Oh. Uh, do I get a lollipop now? Oh, that's so good. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Yeah. The coach taking one for the team ahead of everybody else, mind you. Selfish coach. Yep, Janet Jackson, Luther Vandross, the best things in life are free. 13 12 69, my telephone number if you would like to have you say. It's happy hour. Uh, something that's very funny. Uh, we've put it up. Uh, I can't play the audio because you'll just hear a, a bit of music. But there's a video that we've shared this morning uh, which features the Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Dan Andrews. And someone's put it up on TikTok and through some sort of wonderful technology, they've allowed <laughs> both men's mouths and faces to move in time with the music, and the song is Video Killed the Radio Star. It is funny as. Very, very good. So if you want a bit of a laugh, um, you know, maybe you might want to just get away from all of the political stuff and the nasty news and the bad headlines. For a feel-good Friday, you've got to check it out. In just a couple of moments, uh, Emma Hurst from the Animal Justice Party will join us. Dogs have, have been saved from a cruel puppy farm. All 79 of these pooches have been saved, but they needed urgent medical, uh, veterinary and medical attention. So we'll speak to, to Emma about that after 8.30. And Chris Bowen from Bowen's Garage uh, joining us on the program as well. I've got a note here from Chris. What's he been cruising in lately? Old Bowen. Yeah, well, we'll talk to him after 8.30 as well. Um, 
Sorry, Chris, if, you, if you're listening, mate, we, uh, we'll grab you after 8.30 this morning. I know it's a little later than normal, but um, let's have a look here. Oh, the Mitsubishi Pajero Sport. He's been doing some beach driving with it. He's got a pretty tough life as Bowie. So that's on very soon after the 8.30 news, which isn't too far away. Uh, Look, I, I wanted to go into this in a bit more detail now. Uh, the reason we speak to Andrew Lee each week on the program is because of his... Well, apart from being a decent bloke, his work on trying to claw back millions of our taxpayer dollars has been outstanding. I refer to JobKeeper supplement payments. Um, Harvey Norman was in Andrew's sights last week. They still have not repaid JobKeeper despite making millions and millions in profit. I mean, it's not a bad rot, really, when you think about it. And why isn't the Prime Minister and the Treasurer cracking down on these companies? I mean, Josh has, has been as soft as, I don't know, a feather duster to his mates in big business. They should be repaying the bloody money. Footwear retailer Accent Group is the latest. They will not hand back any of the almost $50 million it received uh, in JobKeeper supplements from you and I, everybody that works, despite reporting, are you ready for it, a $20 million jump in profits for the first half of 2021. The financial year I'm talking about. The $1.2 billion retailer, which operates stores such as Platypus, Hype and Sketches, well, they need to repay the money or don't go there. All right, I've gone uh, to the news uh, a little early, but that's OK um, because we do have some breaking news. I don't want to... I don't want to uh, upset Di in the newsroom, though, but um, I do have uh, a breaking news story here. The body of missing businesswoman Melissa Caddick has been found on the New South Wales south coast more than three months after she disappeared from her home in Sydney's eastern suburbs. The 49-year-old did not take a mobile phone while at all keys when she left her Dover Heights home to go for a run just before sunrise on November 12th. So just uh, updating that breaking news, the body of missing businesswoman Melissa Caddick has been found on the New South Wales south coast more than three months after she disappeared. Now we can go to the newsroom to Diane. She'll have the latest on this. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. I see that New South Wales police will hold a press conference In fact, it may have already started. That's in relation to the investigation into the disappearance of missing Dover Heights woman, Melissa Caddick. Look what we can tell you. The body of this missing businesswoman has been found this morning on the New South Wales south coast. It's more than three months since Melissa disappeared from her home in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Now, she didn't take a mobile phone, of course, when she left. So her remains have been found... She had no wallet or keys when uh, she walked out of Dover Heights home to go for a run just before sunrise back on November 12. Uh, She hadn't been seen since, of course. Now, prior to her disappearance, her eastern suburbs home was raided by investigators from the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, ASIC, and they alleged she was misappropriating investor funds through her financial services company, uh, Maliva, and operating without a licence. So, as I say, we'll just, uh, we might just quickly go to uh, New South Wales Police here. Eastern Suburbs Police Area Command, and I want to provide you all with 
details of a significant breakthrough in the investigation into the disappearance of Melissa Caddick, but we'll recap a few points uh, if you'll bear with me. As you're all aware, Melissa was last seen physically uh, at her home address in Dover Heights on Wednesday the 11th of November last year. During that day, a search warrant was executed by uh, the Australian Securities Investment Commission, RASIC, which concluded that evening. Police have been informed that around 5.30am the following day, the front door of her home was heard to close uh, by her son, who believed that it was Melissa leaving to go for a run. Um, at that time, um, Melissa left her personal belongings, which included her mobile phone, wallet and keys. The next morning, Melissa Caddick was in, reported missing to police. As a result, a missing person investigation was launched, which involved police from the Eastern Suburbs Police Area Command, the State Crime Command Missing Persons Registry and other resources. Appeals for information yielded numerous inquiries, which have been followed up without any confirmed sightings of Melissa from the time of her reported disappearance. Part of those investigations included extensive land, air and sea searches. During the course of those searches, our Marine Area Command provided advice to investigators based on uh, offshore drift modelling that raised the possibility that an object or a body that entered the water around the Davis Heights area could drift as far south as the Bermagui area. I can now inform you that uh, last Sunday, Sunday the 21st of February, a shoe was located on the shoreline of the Bordana National Park south of Tathra by campers. Within that shoe were the remains of a human foot. That foot and the shoe, which matched the size and description of a shoe that Melissa Caddick was seen wearing during the execution of the ASIC search warrant, were conveyed to the New South Wales Health Forensic and Science Services section here in Sydney, where DNA from the foot was last night matched to DNA, a DNA sample from Melissa Caddick's toothbrush and from family members. Melissa's family were informed of the identification last night and are obviously distressed. Now, as you're aware, there's been a lot of commentary and a lot of speculation in relation to the uh, disappearance of Melissa Caddick, and that's understandable. Clearly, the circumstances of Ms. Melissa's disappearance uh, have been distressing for many people, including her alleged victims and, of course, her family and friends. I can say that exactly how Melissa came to enter the water is still a mystery and uh, will be subject of ongoing investigations by the Strike Force team. And police have always kept an open mind in relation to uh, what the circumstances were for her disappearance, including the fact that Melissa may have taken her own life. However, a definitive decision in relation to the manner, time and cause of death is a matter for the coroner. And investigations, as I said, will be ongoing. Um, finally, can I acknowledge the outstanding work of police from the Eastern Suburbs Police Area Command, State Crime Command, um, our search specialist search officers, the Marine Area Command, and most importantly, uh, our colleagues at New South Wales Health um, for the outstanding work that they've done in a timely manner to, uh, to match uh, those remains to Melissa's DNA. All right, we'll leave it there. That is uh, the police. Uh, I didn't get the gentleman's name. It's not up on the screen, but uh, you heard there. I mean, quite graphic detail of the fact that a shoe 
that contained the remains of Melissa Caddick's foot was found just off uh, a national park on the beach. And DNA um, matching has confirmed that it is the remains of Melissa Caddick, who, as we know, disappeared some three months ago. So that's the latest on that. There'll be more details, of course, throughout the course of the morning. Stay listening to us here on the Super Radio Network. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, everything on the road with Bowen's Garage. All righty. Chris Bowen joins us each and every Friday. Bowensgarage.com.au. Hello, buddy. Good morning, Marcus. Hello, mate. Thanks for sticking through us on that very important story. Obviously, a big story breaking this morning. Um, You've been on a beach, but uh, hopefully one that is a little uh, less eerie than what we've just described there, mate. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's nothing more liberating than taking a four-wheel drive vehicle onto a beach, is there? It's fantastic. And I know that you broadcast to this listening area. We took the Mitsubishi Pajero Sport up to a beach called Blacksmith, which is near yeah. Swansea. Oh. It's about six or seven k's long. You've been there? Oh, I know it well, and uh, you're lucky. I mean, you do this for a job, for God's sake. Stop it. <laughs> hey? I know. And then you've got Stockton Beach up a bit further, too, just north of Newcastle. That's, mm. I mean, that's 30 k's in length. Anyway. Look, we took this Pajero Sport. The Pajero Sport is a five- or seven-seat four-wheel drive wagon, which is based on the Mitsubishi Triton. Now, you know, dual cabs are very popular. You see plenty of people getting around to them, and obviously you get that trade, four-wheel drive ability and and, and towing ability. But in reality, they're not good family cars because the second row sits bolt upright. So you go for this sort of car, right? It's got five or seven seats. The one I tested was just short of the top of the range model, which is around 60 grand. I had the GLS mm. for $53,990. Yeah. Now, look, it was great. I mean, it allows you to fold down that third row. You've got a lot of cargo space. It's got a very sophisticated four-wheel drive system. Four-wheel drive systems have come so far, you can literally just flick it from one mode to another yeah. on the fly while you're driving along. Wow. Uh, the beach was relatively challenging. It's quite soft sand up there, but mm. um, any four-wheel driver would know that you should lower your tyre pressures, which we did. Yeah. And uh, in general, we had a good time. Um, there's plenty of these vehicles on the market. You've got the Ford Everest, which, mind you, incidentally, mm. uh, the equivalent um, variant for the Everest is around 60000 which I think makes the Pajero Sport GLS a pretty good um, uh, proposition when it comes to pricing. Uh, you, you do need to cop a rather clattery diesel up front, the 2.4-litre turbo diesel. It's an eight-speed automatic, but you get good fuel economy too, eight litres per 100, and also, you know, fairly comprehensive safety features for, you know, a vehicle that is basically a, a based on a truck. Okay. Um, and, I mean, how's the ride, uh, most importantly? The- most importantly, look, you know that you're, you're driving something that is a little bit agricultural, as I said. It lumbers mm. around town a bit. It's fine on the beach. But then, you know, I had a chance to jump straight into it. I've got the Ford Everest base camp in the driveway right now. That is, that's the best. That is the market leader in terms of just manoeuvrability. Uh, it really soaks up the bumps well. Yeah. It drives much closer to an SUV than what the Pajero Sport does. Mm. But as I said, it's far more expensive. And, you know, if I was shopping for one of these sorts of vehicles, you really got to pay, uh, pay close attention to the Pajero Sport GLS in my mind. All right. Um, Bowie, I know you've done podcasts and videos on this. Where do we go uh, for all the information on this Pajero? 
Well, look, I think it's easy just to go to balancegarage.com.au. You'll find everything there. And you can click on all the various social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'm everywhere. You're everywhere, word, man. And including your great show as well. Oh, so. thank you, my friend. Uh, well, listen, what are you driving next? <laughs> what am I driving next? Mm. Well, I've actually also got the the straight-up Mitsubishi Pajero. So that's the right. original four-wheel drive. Mate, that thing's been around since 2006. And yes. they just keep uploading, up, uh, updating it. Well, they sell well. Glorified. They sell, it's a good car. I've actually yeah. enjoyed getting around it. Um, there's a few Mercedes-Benz on the way. <laughs> there's a few Mercs on the way. Oh. I know you're a Beamer man. I know you're a Beamer man. Well, we'll look, you know, that that, uh, that <laughs> boat sailed weeks ago and I didn't get an invite. Yeah, I know, I know you. As I said, you're far down the, the list in terms of priorities. I was devastated. <laughs> Devastated and mortified. Um, and I should also add, head to my YouTube channel. Um, we're getting a lot of subscribers. And Good. Good on awesome. you, mate. That'd be great uh, if people could do that and subscribe. Mm. Your radio platform has really helped me, so I appreciate no, that. that's all right, mate. Well, listen, we go, go to bowensgarage.com.au for all the details there, and we'll talk to you again next Friday, bud, okay? I'll be right here, ready for you. Look after yourself, Chris. You too. See you, Marcus. Chris Bowen, who's our motoring expert on Marcus Paul in the morning. Next, though, Emma Hurst, one of our hashtag warriors, animal warrior Emma Hurst. You know that Emma's been fighting so hard to outlaw puppy farming in New South Wales. And I'm going to explain an horrific story next, which should provide her with far more support. We need to ban puppy farming in New South Wales. Sydney's own 2SM 1269. All right, it's 11 to 9. Emma Hurst from the Animal Justice Party, as you know, is our hashtag animal warrior. Morning to you, Emma. Good morning, Marcus. More ammunition I see on why we need to bloody well ban puppy farming in New South Wales. Dozens of adorable uh, fur babies have been saved from a cruel puppy farm with all 79 of the dogs needing urgent medical attention. Absolutely. So the information that we have is that there was a raid in the central west New South Wales um, where 79 dogs were seized. And as you say, they were all needing urgent veterinary treatment. Um, The very sad part of this story as well is that I'm led to believe that there are dogs that were left behind. Um, And that, of course, is not the RSPCA's fault. That's the fault of the government because these facilities are still legal. It's still legal to run a puppy farm. So the RSPCA, I'm sure, would have liked to have taken all of the dogs at this facility, but they can only take the dogs that needed that urgent veterinary treatment. Um, But do we trust people who have 79 dogs in urgent need of veterinary care to care for the rest of the dogs that are still in their in their possession. So in other words, uh, it'll be business as usual for this puppy farm operator. Will they uh, be fined for neglect or fined in some way, shape or form for the state of the animals that were taken away? Well, we would hope so. So the RSPCA will certainly obviously still be running their investigation and we hope to see a prosecution, um, particularly in regards to whatever condition those 79 dogs um, were in when they came out. 
Um, But of course, you know, this isn't a one-off case. Um, You know, last year we were talking about Strawberry the Boxer um, with a puppy farm in Adam Marshall's electorate. Um, It's just one after the other. And and the problem is that as long as the New South Wales government allows puppy farming to remain legal, animal cruelty issues will continue to happen. How close are you to getting the legislation needed, Emma, to outlaw, outlaw this practice? So we've drafted our own piece of legislation because the government still haven't acted. Um, we're still finalising the final pieces of that. Now, look, we do have some support. Um, Labor have come on board and the Greens have come on board. Good. But we will need more than that to actually get the legislation passed um, in the upper house. And then, of course, in the lower house, it will rely on the government to support the legislation. Um, but, of course, if they're going to vote down this legislation, then they're really going to have a fight on their hands um, because this is something that urgently, urgently needs to be dealt with. No, absolutely. All right, Emma. Well, good luck. I know you're fighting a, a tough battle, but, again, sadly, um, look, if anything good can come of this, then hopefully it's more ammunition to get this thing across the line for you in the New South Wales Parliament. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Marcus. Take care. Thanks, Em. Bye. Thanks. All right. Our hashtag animal warrior, Emma Hurst. Well, that's the most pathetic jump I've ever seen. Hey? I can't jump. Lift your legs. Lift your legs, would you? Jump. (laughs) (laughs) Justin's just gone. Arse over Apex trying to jump. I'm all right. I'm you all sure? Right. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> Come up the dial and give us a trial. Marcus Paul in the morning. Get yourself up there, scruff. Ah, yes, I'm okay. Don't worry. All right, thank you for all your help this week. No problem. It's been a great week. And thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been another big week on the program. Marcus Paul in the morning podcast will be up after lunch, so you can listen back to a very jam-packed show. I think today was it was good. Thank you for your emails, your phone calls, and all your messages. Have a safe wonderful weekends and the king of talkback John Laws is joining you next you can call Lawsy 1300 564 652 bye 2SM